0: Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Miniatures Monthly at the Creighton Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston and as ever I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello, we're one year old Chris. I know, we're a pair of is? us. Yeah. One a, year a, old yeah, today. <laughs> tiny children. <laughs> tiny bawling infants. Precocious bearded tiny children. <laughs> Playing with uh, little plastic people. Indeed. And a year ago, this month, we first said those words and it turned into a song by Mike Debenham. Yeah, ima- amazing. I still love that song. Yeah, me too. Sometimes Incredible. I sing it when I'm c- c- cooking really a yeah. <laughs> straight time to do, sing it etc etc et yeah. yeah well people listening to this will have just heard it <laughs> as the <laughs> oh, intro surprised it then you yeah, know exactly. so good you got to hear it twice fresh in your memory um yeah one year incredible um do you have a particular approach to hobby that's changed over the last year intros type question yeah i don't um i I think i'm still sort of plowing on with it
1: in a similar way but i think i've taken a more kind of mechanical approach to painting units mm. and doing so i, I did uh, we'll talk about this in the hobby section properly, but I, I got through some spite revenants in a weekend and it was probably just like do this section on each model and then that, that section is done and yeah then do the next section on the models and they look uh, nice I like so them. yeah they look really clean and they didn't take forever they're just done and I'm happy with them. And that that to me is like I've not put too much effort in almost to make it stressful to me or mm. or, or kind of an unhappy thing. It was just a lovely thing
0: to just polish off that unit and now I, I can play with it. It's great. It's I feel the same way. Like um I'm the thing I said last month about how I was going to use the opportunity of our skirmish campaign to try and just sort of like do a chunk of my corn stuff mm. every month to to prepare for the next game. Um this month, for various reasons, I fell, I fell behind on that. And four o'clock yesterday, I had three Blood Reavers that I... Sorry, Blood Warriors that I hadn't painted. Hmm. And they painted now. Yeah, they look great. And But again, just quick. Like, yeah. learning to get quicker, learning to get better at batch painting and more mechanical. And and actually, understanding the virtue of things being done being better than them being perfect has hmm. been a really nice thing to pick up in the last year, I think. I'm kind of
1: learning to be happy with it. And also, I think just I feel like I've got a set of skills for metal and a set of skills for leather and a set of skills for fur. Yeah. I've kind of just kind of got that stuff down pat now. I've been doing it for a couple of years, getting back into this hobby. Uh, so I feel like I've got a body of knowledge that lets me burn through things a lot faster
0: just through experience. Yeah. Like, I think that's the thing with hobby, right? Like you can, you get things done is very satisfying, but also you can um, get satisfaction from different levels of things being done. So, mm. so with some models, you want it to be done in the way that you can pick it up and show somebody and say, look, I've painted the hairs on his eyeballs. Yes. I don't know what model that is. That's an ancient model. Yeah. Some sort of chaos demon. It's probably a chaos demon. Um, and then there are some things where it's like, look, this unit is done and it looks nice together, which is mm. like, you know, where I'm at with my blood warriors, where you are with your, with, with Spike revenants, right? Yeah. Like it's that. Collectively, they look great. Yeah. And that's something that I think I took a, this time last year when we started doing uh, this, I was sort of like growing in confidence as a painter, mm. but everything took me forever. Yeah. I'll we'll probably return to that subject a little bit later on in terms of what we have been doing this month, but um that actually links to kind of like, I think what a big theme of this month in, in Warhammer stuff and hobby stuff generally has been for me is, and um, particularly given the vast amount of exciting news that we're about to dig into. Ridiculous amount of news. A ridiculous amount of news. I've kind of come into this really comfortable with the idea that the at least the next couple of months is kind of about getting through my backlog of stuff. Mm. Right? Yeah. Like, I kinda, I'm saying this now, I'm saying this like, in the, I say end of January, and it's a very January thing to say. Yeah. But this New is, resolution. this is me, this is my New Year's resolution, saying that I'm gonna clear my backlog before I really take on anything else. Mm. Uh, I'm, I will make exceptions for New Shades by bands. Oh yes. Because I will get enjoyment out of the cards and things, even if I don't paint them straight away. For sure. And I will make exception for, uh, cool, one-off solo models Mm. and i say that so that i can buy the dark oath war queen (laughs) and uh yeah uh, would you buy any of the other line portents here not straight away okay yeah um and but that's it right yeah so i'm gonna before we plunge into an army and news section where i'm inevitably going to talk about armies i now want (laughs) of course i want to caveat the whole thing with like that's kind of what i'd like to do how about you like what's your kind of very very similar i think uh
1: the releases they've talked about and we'll, which we'll get on to, imminently. Uh, again, I'm lucky that I'm not too enticed by them. Mm. That the big release that I wanted to happen, like a big death release, hasn't come about yet. So that's the thing that would distract me from my shame pile. Would be like a big death release, right? Uh, so that now that's kind of not on the cards in the near future. I, I'm free to paint up my Vanguard and to do my silver death, and actually,
0: again, that pile of shame is just going down. It's going down. It is. Yeah, I found the same thing. Like it's um. I think it's helpful that we have, uh, cool like multiple cool kind of threads of engagement with the hobby on the horizon at the same time. Mm. Like it feels like, um, from the Malai Importance campaign, which we'll finally talk about. I appreciate that when we last recorded an episode, we didn't even know what malign Importance it was, was about to be announced. Probably wasn't it? it was? Yeah, it was days from being announced. Now we have all the details pretty much. Um. But things like the fact that you and I are still planning a Firestorm campaign, like yeah. a kind of table kind of campaign, like a map campaign system, which will require big expansions to our uh, kind of classic armies, the Ancient yeah. and Stormcast So that's still on the horizon. So all of that stuff is, a in in an era of very exciting new stuff coming along, is a kind of also an equal and opposite drawback to like focusing on the boxes of grey stuff sitting under my painting desk, Absolutely. which is very healthy, I think. Mm. Like I... I think, um, there's definitely a common thread in, in hobby communities of like consoling and encouraging each other's shame piles. If you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like say, sure. it's okay, right? Like sometimes you just really want to paint something and I get, get yeah, that, right? Definitely. I've definitely gone off piste this month. Um, but I went off piste within my shame pile and I'm glad I did. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. So you already had that model. It was just one component of your shame
1: yeah. pile that you. Yes, exactly. Got. Like I just,
0: I, I went rogue within my shame pile. That's reason going That's rogue within games workshop. <laughs> yeah. With your wallet. <laughs> Yeah, Gaze Workshop Store. Good. Um, let's talk about the news because it feels like everything else is going to break off. Absolutely. So it has been loads of it and we're kind of, we're not going to break down the news by chronological order because God knows, I mean, you don't care, listener, you know, you're getting this at the end of January. We'd be jumping around madly between things as well. Between settings. Yeah. yeah. So we'll kind of start off with 40k because it's obviously the setting that we engage with a little bit less, Mm -hmm. but more and more as time goes on. Yeah. Um, so there's been a big run of codexes basically. So I kind of want to break this down by release date a bit because some of these are out now. Um, but the first codex to, uh, come out this month was codex chaos demons, which is, uh, which I have. So I can sort of talk about that. Excellent. From the point of view of having bought it. Um, and that was a kind of no brainer for me because like I have a big Siege demons army. Mm. So I have a ready made for DK army really for whenever I want to use it. And, uh, but mostly the reason I get codex is obviously there's new rules and there's clarifications, and I think they've shown a kind of... I'm impressed by how rapidly these codexes are coming out and replacing the rules that are in the index books yeah. that came out alongside 8th edition Warhammer 40,000. Yeah, they promised that... Um- it would be
1: quick and obviously we got the predictable space marine and chaos space marine releases last year but now they're moving into for me
0: more interesting yeah uh, types of army for 40k and doing new armies yeah. and codexes for armies that don't have codexes traditionally like mm. it's kind of like it's not just filling in the like, probably sucks if you're an orc player and you're still waiting but oh, like God. one you day know, yeah. yeah um one day soon hopefully mm. uh but yeah it's been very really pacey and but the thing i really like about it is um so i know a lot of war games talk about fluff as if it's like the kind of inexplicable hundred pages of nonsense you have to read before you get to the pages stuff. that have numbers on. Yeah. But, um, I, I really, I've been really enjoying reading through the Chaos Demons fiction because I wasn't sure how it would go in 40k necessarily because, mm. um, the kind of goings on inside the warp is something that you only ever see from a kind of, usually you see from a mortal perspective. Obviously there are short stories and kind of novels that go more explicitly into like, Life in the warp when you are literally a demon. Right. But, you know, for the most part, the warp is that unfathomable other thing. Yeah. And you are a horrified man whose eyes have melted. Mm. Um, which is like a kind of missed connection. (laughs) Um, and, um, Actually, this is really nice because one of the interesting things is some, in some cases, it's twists on stories that are the same in AOS, hmm. but have a kind of 40k version. Yeah. So like what happened to Scarbrand is slightly different across both settings, but gotcha. functionally the same. Yeah. Um, and different characters and then it inc- includes all the new Nurgle characters, things like that. Um, but there's also loads of like, um, sort of just great little mini stories that I found like, uh, something I, lo- I love about the Age of Sigma setting, but also I've always enjoyed about 40K is the fact that you can kind of they can gesture it, something happening somewhere, and, and you can imagine an entire army based around that idea. Yeah. So, I don't know if there's ever been a previous bit of 40K fiction, but I'd never seen it before. There's a great bit of storytelling in Codex Chaos Demons where um, it's, descri- it's just a description of the uh, realm of corn. Each each god gets a description of what its realm is like within the warp. Hmm. Um, and they actually map very cleanly old how they are in AOS as well. Like Nurgle's garden. Um, like the one that's the least well-defined is Slaanesh, but that's its own kind of issue. Yeah. I think at the moment with what's going on with Slaanesh. Um, and then, you know, Sinch's crystalline maze and then Khorne's kind of volcano Mad Max battlescape. Yeah. Um, but there's a good story about a, a war like an orc war, that went directly into the eye of terror. <laughs> so they are like, fuck this. We're fighting Yolo. the big space. eye. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Korn nice. was so delighted by this that he let them in mm. to his domain. Cause they sacked, they sacked a couple of planets. They shouldn't have been able to like a couple of like full on Zinch worlds. Yeah. Like, like the, the implication is they somehow managed to fight like a big crystal and win like, and then end up in uh, Korn's realm and Korn brings them back to life. And whenever they get annihilated, they get annihilated every day, this entire war, mm. by all of Korn's bloodthirsters that are just hanging out, basically. <laughs> and then their fungal motes, because orcs are mushrooms, yeah, um, blow onto the kind of fertile volcanic ash of the endless infinite volcano ring that surrounds Corn's yeah. realm. And they, come right and back. they grow back. Yeah. And then they charge back into the valley and do it again. And, that's awesome. and they're having the best time ever, because yeah. orcs have basically found orc heaven. And Korn's having the best time ever because like he's Valhalla, fa- Hala, isn't it? He's, yeah, he's found like the only mortal thing that is, is really up. Is still having all fun. The time, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. yeah. Um, and I just really like that. And I thought so, like and um and I kind of like the idea that you could do a an orc army that's just like the demon orcs that got lost yeah, really yeah. badly. But there's lots that's of awesome. little details like that. That's there's awesome. like um. The one of the only reasons that the, the, the cicatrix maledictum, mm. the great rift in the central galaxy mm. abated slightly is because as soon as it exploded, all of the gods saw the potential, the whole chaos gods saw the potential that it represented at the same time and started fighting each other. Mm. So it went like, oh, and then it could have destroyed the galaxy and then they fought each other. Then it abated. And then it abated. And then in order to settle that, they decided to have a contest of champions where they just each send one army. Oh, right. Um, but then they all cheated and because they all cheated, Zinch won because <laughs> that's how that works. Yeah. But then Korn had a tantrum because Zinch won and hit reality so hard. it basically started again. <laughs> like, that's hilarious. Like, nothing happened. Like chaos gods, everybody. Yeah. But like, yeah. um, I really like that stuff. It's full of like little details like that. So that's one of the reasons to kind of get these codexes for me is like, yeah. you get this kind of like really rich, um background stuff but i haven't played the game with the new rules yet it did prompt some interesting kind of um when the rules were introduced it sort of opened the door for lots of kind of abusive combos and things that very quickly got kind of nixed by yeah, gw which kind of just i guess reinforces that so happens that they, yeah yeah are willing to kind of close stuff off quite quickly mm. um but i guess probably won't have more to say about that until we play a game with the new demon rules. Yeah, I need to paint up some space marines so I got less less for
1: janky force. You know, yeah, I've got a kind of half and half mishmash some of primaris. extremely
0: lost ten thousand year old space wars.
1: <laughs> Exactly. Like <laughs> what? Why are with with these guys? Um And yeah, also like the space marine armies you get out of the box uh, in eighth edition is pretty one note like you can't do a huge amount with them The most interesting decision is what you do with the guys who come down from space um and the rest of them are just stand within each other's buff radiuses and yeah you know they're just a, a sort of
0: fire base really i watched an interesting game from the las vegas open which is on this weekend as we're recording this actually yeah um which kind of highlighted how a lot of the new stuff that's being introduced in the game kind of complicates the like 40k at the moment is a game of buff radii basically mm. in some extent but there's a lot of new interesting spells and things that mm. um could complicate that yeah um, like the Thousand Suns are getting a new spell that means you, if you take damage from it you also half your movement for that th- turn which uh is designed to create problems for aura armies. Yeah. Because you aim for the aura carrier and then you make everyone else you know go slowly yeah, slow as the, the slowest unit. Yeah, like, makes sense. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah, like, that's cool. Uh, I think that's an interesting way of making auras like a multifaceted aspect of the game mm. like a hindrance and a blessing as well rather than just like build a fortress around all of these bubble men. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's kind of how, uh, it's how it plays out of the box, but yeah, there's lots of interesting units and stuff coming through the new 40k.
0: So actually speaking of which, so the next codex, um, we'll move over custodes briefly because it's out to, it was out this weekend. Yeah. Probably, that's obviously a new miniatures range as well, which may be worth talking about. Yeah. Um, the emperor's finest finest. The emperor's goldest finest. Yeah.
1: <laughs> They're better than space marines. Yeah. Also ancient. They're uh,
0: pre-space marines, space marines. They are, yeah. So they've been, they Let's guys. talk about custodies then, cause they, yeah, there's a new range. So there's, yeah. So this is, hmm. you've got a couple of custodies. Yeah. I've
1: got some from the, uh, uh, the big box we got. Uh, Burning and Prospero. Yeah. Burning and Prospero box. So I've got some of those. They're, they've got spears that are also giant bolters, which is exciting. And they're very, very gold and <laughs> huge.
0: Yeah. They're quite cool. Yeah. So like, this isn't like an extremely elite army in that they a vast amount of points per model. Yeah. And there's a, um, I think there's a few things. So like I did get that little pang of temptation. I've been getting it all month, but like, Mm. um, partly because I've gone back and forth so much on what I want to do at my primaris because I've painted one of them. Yeah. Um, but on a whim late last year, I picked up like I painted one Sergeant, but I've picked up the, um, Thirtieth anniversary sergeant. Oh it's yeah, sergeant yeah. Cause I quite like the model. Yeah, it's a good model. Uh, which means I have a spare sergeant. Which means if I choose to do a different colour scheme, I'm not down a sergeant or sure. have to repaint him. If that makes sense. Yeah. It makes so sense. I still don't feel locked in. And I think I might change my mind again. But the, the idea I've been coming around to with what I'll eventually do at my Primaris is I'd quite like to do like a kind of defenders of the solar system mm. kind of mixed. Thing, which is bringing me back to Imperial fists, which is where I started. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I might do Imperial Still fists. paint yellow. Yeah, I don't. I, I get away from it. I, I've done Zinch. You yeah. know what I mean. Everything is <laughs> like, easy mode from here on out. Um, like or I'm doing Zinch, I should say. Um, the, but no, I find custodians quite tempting because like they're just such cool miniatures, and the new range which includes like the jet pipe guys, which are great mm. and the biker dudes are cool and i think coming from the the kind of very horde kind of glass glass cannon stuff i've been running I a a durable army is an interesting change of pace for me yeah like um something i really like that they've done with the kits is that all of the heroes apart from one build out of the standard infantry boxes oh, cool. so and all of their minimum unit sizes are small enough that like if you buy the box of five dudes um the minimum unit size is now three mm. so that you can build the captain and the standard bearer who are the vexilla, which are standalone heroes yeah and then get a box of three uh, oh, a nice. three yeah, out of that box that's and then nice. you buy another one to get a second unit yeah. but there was a joke that they're going to rename the the existing custodies box as start collecting custodies because <laughs> it's a <laughs> box of five dudes but it comes with a troops unit an elite choice and yeah, hq yeah. that's cool that's really nice. <laughs> so like i love the idea of uh blending uh
1: Rank and file and hero models in the same box. Yeah. Like so you can just assemble it as all rank and file if you want. Yeah. But the heroes come in the box as well. And yeah. that's true of every custodius kit. I really like the hero models as well. I love the faces. They've got really stoic kind of expressions. Yeah. You know, they I mean, it'd be a challenge to paint them, but I think that's,
0: they're cool models. Cause the, yeah, the, the, the fiction is that they are the emperor's bodyguards and mm. have been basically since forever. Yeah. Like, the emperor built the, the proto they predate the thunder warriors right who are the proto the space, space marines, marines yeah. They, yeah in fact they're the ones that killed the thunder warriors right because that's because the emperor fi- finished reuniting earth oh did they rebel no no they? he just they needed killing <laughs> okay because Wait, like their role they, was finished they were basically like i think i don't know what exactly what it was that was wrong with the thunder warriors i think they weren't immortal like space marines are yeah space marines are only they die if they're killed right they, yes otherwise they live forever they pretty much do yeah so, um, but I think they're a bit too prone to going a bit mad. Like they were kind of savage warriors made to reclaim the Mad Max planet that Terra was before it became right. Gothic I think Hyper talks about this in the Dark Imperium book yeah. a little bit. This
1: idea that the space marines aren't really made to govern, and I guess the Thunder Warriors might have been just an even more extreme version where that
0: like, seriously you don't put these guys in charge of a society.
1: Yeah. You know, they, they are just bar- barbaric.
0: Ports. Yeah. So basically as soon as I think also there's this thing like the Emperor's like, Well, I've made this army to conquer terror,
2: hmm.
0: I'll now make another army to conquer space.
2: Hmm.
0: And I need to get rid of the old one, or they're going to be awkward. what's all well testing test the new one on the old one. Well, no, because it's the custodians who have been there from the beginning. Oh, so, so it's like been... custodians can I get rid of these guys quickly. Mm, yeah. So the custodians killed all the Thunder Warriors uh, and okay. then the space helpful. Okay. Yeah. It's really so, cool. yeah. Uh, something I did like is that the the book opens up different custodians color schemes Mm. like quite dramatically so you like there's a like the um the custodians that guard the black cells under terror where bad people are kept uh wear black armor which is really that's really really good that's like taking a super easy mode painting army (laughs) and going like do you know what i wish this was hard instead (laughs) (laughs) yeah like imagine all that detailing Mm. but now you have to edge highlight it and it's black man dry brush all the way you can't really dry brush black. Yeah, dry brush it
1: turns Yeah, it's it turns grey. right.
0: You yeah. have to... Black requires
1: really fine edge height. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Challenge um, accepted. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds rad, though. They're, they're already cool models. They're a cool concept. They've yeah. been in the fiction sort of in the background
0: forever as well, haven't they? Yeah. And so. they're super powerful as well, which is kind of neat. And I love the jetpikes. The yeah, jet they're jet very, very cool. cool. The lances and everything. Uh, yeah. You know, not really going to buy any because... Pile of shame. Pile of shame. <laughs> but nonetheless. Cool. Um, so, up pre-order this weekend, next Codex coming out. God, we've got so much news. Um, we should get really cracked through this. We'll, we'll pull it after this. is Codex Thousand Sons, mm. which I find very exciting. Yeah. Why, though, Chris? I mean, is it because you've got, uh, I don't it, know how many painted red dudes? Uh, yeah. So, having gone back and forth about my Primaris so much and yeah. then all the other stuff, this coming along and then some, seeing some of the new fiction and then watching, like, a Warhammer TV game where they were playing, I was like oh, but these are my favorite. Like, I've been, I've been trying to figure out, like, what's my favorite loyalist Space Marine chapter? Yeah. And the answer is The Thousand Sons, <laughs> the best loyalist Space Marine chapter, because they didn't do anything wrong. No. But... A bit. Now they're made of dust and they kill the good guys. Well, sometimes they're made of dust. So mm. this is a uh, cool snippet. Change this a little bit. This, no, but they haven't. But so a cool snippet from the Codex that showed up on a website or something mm. Um is that... Because during Gathering Storm, when the Inari were running around... Because mm-hmm. Araman by this point, has basically mastered the webway. Okay. Um, in fact, the Thousand Sons have an ability based around that now. They can deploy troops in the webway. Oh, well. Like Eldar, <laughs> uh, which is kind of rad. Like, yeah, like I like, I like a space room faction that is using everyone's technology. Yeah, of, yeah. That's interesting. Um, and uh, basically, uh, in the Gathering Storm books, this has already happened. Basically... Um, Araman faces down Ivrain, who's the emissary of, um, Inead, mm. so the Eldar god of death. Yeah. And she demonstrates their power over death by resurrecting the Rubric Marines he's with. <laughs> okay. So they turn around and look at him with their human eyes again for their first, for uh, the yeah, first okay. time in, in 10 millennia or whatever. And they are immediately killed by a Wraith Knight. <laughs> Just show you, showing, showing, <laughs> showing them what, they, what they can do. Yeah. Um, but now the sort of plot notion is that Araman knows that the Anari can fix this mm. um so apparently like the tease is that the next step for the thousand suns is war on kamara oh, which is such a great kind of awesome. like yeah. mashing up of fiction like i love the journey these characters go on over the, such a long span of time yeah that's right and you know that's sort of you know in the end of the last sort of wave of 40k fiction magnus pulled the planet of the sorcerers out of the warp yeah. and parked it next to prospero um and then the step after that is Araman going after the Dark Elves Dark Eldar, sorry, mm. or the Drukari, um for their death secrets, which yeah. is kind of rad yeah. at the same time. That totally makes sense as well. Like, yeah. And they've done loads of things with the book as well, like uh hugely expanded what Zangor can do and brought the Zangor shaman into forty K and brought the Mutal of the Vortex beast from AOS oh, yeah, into forty K. Cool. Yeah. So if somebody's currently working through thirty Zangor, um or you know, has been, then like, it means that, like, out of the bat, like, this feels like the army I should do, right? Like, yeah. I love the fiction. I love the models. I've already got a lot of the models. It allies with Zinch Demons, naturally, which mm-hmm. I am swimming in, so. Yeah. did you see the upgrade kit they uh, showed this weekend for uh, Zango, like, little chainsaws? It's just the sprue that comes with the 40k Zango box. Oh, uh, gotcha, really. Because the, the 40k Zango kit is just the AOS Zango kit minus... No, actually, it's not. It's the same two sprues with the 40k sprue okay. included. Yep. Sorry if my voice comes and goes over the course of this pod, by the way, listeners, Uh I am c- recovering from a cold and will sometimes become horse. <laughs> um, which is, I, this must be a Warhammer joke, but I couldn't think yeah, of anyone. Like, who turns already. into a horse? No, no one. No, um, so that leaves and uh, basically just ring a little bell. If this is, if any of these strike a note with you, Tom, in terms of codexes hmm. announced recently, the next wave is Necron's Tau. And Drew Carey. Okay. Yeah. The
1: Tau have become progressively more evil with each sort of iteration on their codex, their army books. They finally uh, gained an apostrophe. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't I didn't know. The Tau now. The the why do they do that? Who Copyright? Did that? Oh maybe, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Could be. Um yeah, the Tau of uh they started out as being like the greatest good faction, um and uh you know, the, the guys actually want to improve the lives of everyone in the galaxy ultimately um though they sort of enslave other races as part Mm. of their giant collective and as they've uh you know as the stories have progressed you know for the tau they've become more and more um the greatest good means actually like loads of collateral damage and you know genetic manipulation of other species to stop them from breeding and that sort of thing right uh so yeah the, the, the the sort of moral relativity Angle on them is, is has progressed in interesting ways, and I, I I do wonder how they fit into the new 40k with the the giant you know warp slash across the universe. Mm. Uh, I think one of the Tau like collectives got pulled into the warp during that, so there's every chance like that they could come back out of that changed or, or did, yeah yeah which is very interesting uh but the, the tower feel like they're the, the most fertile ground to do new things with the 40k army Whereas it feels like the necrons are always just going to be necrons they're they're always just they're on every planet and they sort of rise up like a force of nature apparently they've they've got more personality now but they're still just automaton really uh um, whereas it feels like the tower could be lots of it could they could turn into anything uh, there's more potential there
0: yeah it, it's like it's nice these factions are all interesting because it's like other responses to chaos yeah like necrons are a potent anti-chaos force mm. but because they're Metal men <laughs> that live under the ground. Yeah. Which is about as orderly as you get. Yeah. Um, and Tau are kind of too young and to race to be kind of like completely lost to chaos, like humanity arguably is. And they're kind of naive as well. There's mm. naive to the Tau, which is really interesting. Um, but,
1: uh, it's almost like you could see the Imperium allying with the Tau were it not for the Imperium's massive xenophobia, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Uh, so is, is there, it's almost like there could be like an order a collective of races the eldar the tau and the you know the imperium could get together and actually yeah uh, so the idea that the, the chaos gods are warring all the time but actually all these order forces are warring all the time as well it's just
0: mistrust and betrayal well, this this came up the day it was in relation to another benefit we'll get to certainly soon but um we we're talking about this in discord and um a big difference between um so the imperium's power level and couple of the xenophobia is the most kind of profound difference in the political landscapes of the factions in AOS and 40K? Because mm. both, like, because order can exist in AOS because there is no specific faction like that, like yes. singular entity that has those kind of exclusionary policies to keep other factions from helping against chaos. Right. Basically, right? Like, they don't, order doesn't always get on with itself in AOS but they're all aligned against chaos. Mm. Also, every faction in AOS on the order side has at its top, a God or a a leader or representative, most of whom remember the old world. Yeah. And therefore have existed in a place where they didn't get on and chaos killed everybody. Mm. So there's like, you know, AOS is a setting where yeah, elves and humans and dwarves and, Lizardmen and everyone kind of ultimately will come together because there's a common understanding of the common threat. Yeah. Whereas 40k is a universe where really there should be an order faction. There should be a Imperium, Eldar, Tau, Necron kind of allegiance mm. to stop chaos. And that would probably work, yeah. but it'll never
1: happen. It's, it's brilliant though. That's, why, that's it is why it's brilliant. I love that the fatalism of the 40k setting. It's the, yeah. That's the one of the core kind of uh pessimisms of that that universe well
0: the kind of the nice
1: and sad thing about it is like 40k is ultimately set in the future of our universe <laughs> <laughs> we'll never get over our differences we don't have immortal god beings who remember how things were and have yeah, a exactly. chance to steal things
0: uh, steal things in the present um but yeah we should we should um probably move on from from 40k because that's all stuff on the horizon i did yeah. want to briefly mention uh one of the models that was revealed uh this last couple of days, the Knight Armager War Oh yeah. Which is a kind of new form of a mini knight. Like an auxiliary unit for knight armies. A new walker, a new battle walker. Yeah. Very cool. Bigger than a dreadnought, smaller than a knight. Yeah. Somewhere in but, between. But like lovely model. Hmm. Very I like I love knights and I love mechanicum kind of stuff and the silhouettes. Yeah. Um I was wondering if this was a Tom Walton model, actually, because it's got that kind of got that industrial light. design sensibility. Um but this is this has got me thinking, like, now I want to do a night household. Oh yeah. This is me sticking to my shame pile. <laughs> sticking to my shame pile. Yeah, that's cool. Night households are awesome. Yeah. So some Age of Sigmar stuff. Actually, no shit, sorry. Loads. Finally. Final thing that isn't just the a- AOS hole are about to fall down. Mm. Uh Shakespeare Warbands in the next couple of weeks. Excellent, fire slayers and skaven. Skaven, yeah And we've finally seen the fire slayer models. Yeah, and they're really good. They're really good. They're the best fire slayer models. Yeah, for me. Continuing the range. trend of the shadespire models being the best models for that faction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, crazy good. Apart crazy from, good. I would say the corn. That isn't true. But yeah, I, I, I and Ch- and stormcast, stormcast is, is, Yeah, I mean, it, it, some of them are great.
1: They're the best liberators. Like they're, they're amazing. Yes, liberators. yeah. But you know, I, I wouldn't stack them up against the stormcast heroes. who are lovely.
0: Angrad's a good model. I like that. a cool model, yeah. Um, but yes, um, they haven't revealed much apart from the fact that the Skaven is a five man warband and the, the Fire Slayers are a four, per- yep. four person warband, so. That's interesting.
1: Mm. I was, I was, that the five, we've known for a while that it is a five rat Skaven warband, but I was wondering whether they would go down the route of like another seven stack warband, like an equivalent of the Spokal Guard, but actually right. the Skaven are actually a few... Less of them, but... Yeah, more well, like Bloodbound, sure. so... Yeah, Kind yeah. of not out of the question that I'll shift over. Yeah, nice. I, I mean, I'm definitely... By the way, both of those boxes, because they're... I, I find them to be really well-priced, because I get, like,
0: great hobby out of them, and the cards are really useful. Yeah, that's kind of what I said earlier, right? Like, yeah. this is sort of... You get value out of it simply because we play a lot of Shadespire, and
2: yeah.
0: I love that game, so... It's a to, good game. I like it a it's lot. It's a very good game. Uh We'll get to that. Man, so much news. All right. So, we're going to open... Oh man, I, I just looked back at the news list and realised we're not even close to malign importance yet. Yeah, the fucking hell. Yeah, so much various. happened this month. So, um, they, last month we mentioned that they had announced a kind of new FAQ schedule for Warhammer 40,000, which is to be more transparent when rules updates are mm. happening to the game. And I was really pleased to see, uh, this weekend that the same is coming to Age of Sigma. Yeah, that's great. So that means FAQs in January and July. Um, although there hasn't been one yet has there <laughs> no there hasn't so maybe maybe they are waiting until this tournament ends and i wonder how where the general's handbook fits in because the general's handbook
1: was was it september this year or? yeah maybe it'll probably be around the same time yeah so i mean you'd expect a big
0: rules update to coincide the the summer one to coincide that would the make the sense because then if it was like september october then you have like se- september say a couple of months first faq based mm. on that couple of months Yep. Yeah. and then yeah wait another couple of months you're six months for july and then september well, and October then again. that patches it up for over the summer yeah and then september the cycle starts again if you see the general handbook as the start of the new cycle yeah then yeah um yeah so that's really welcome news and the other thing which isn't aos related specifically but um it's definitely been on my mind a lot this month is um black library have opened up their open submissions window again because they, they lasted two years ago yeah so it's been a while and um,
1: but that's really cool. So they they've done it slightly differently to normal. So before they've tended to have accepted larger submissions, but now they're relaunching Inferno, is it called? Mm. Short story collection,
0: basically. Yeah. I got, I uh, brought a huge stack of them back from my childhood home oh, over brilliant. Christmas because I yeah. used to love them. So. Yeah. I used to love them as well. And, uh, but now it's coming back as
1: kind of like a one big book. It feels like it might be like an annual thing or something. It feels like, mm. uh, the start of a, a renewal for Inferno, which is great. And, uh, <laughs> for me, short stories, uh, the perfect way to explore Warhammer universes. Yeah. Um, I enjoy the novels, but short stories just could be so evocative and they can give you army ideas and they can give you just an insight into a
0: part of the world you'd never considered. Uh, so I'm really excited about this open submissions period. Yeah. Same. I, I've, um, it's been, yeah, given a lot of thought and I'm, I'm taking my time with it. I've got a parrot, like, so it's a submission of a paragraph and a 500 word excerpt. Yeah. And I've got a paragraph now that I'm happy with. So it's just mm-hmm. about. And starting on that excerpt and getting it right yeah, yeah, but, nice. yeah Um it's been nice trying to like shape something to the suggested themes that they've yeah. laid out as well because some we of them talk are... about the themes because they're interesting uh, cause yeah they're not necessarily what you might expect like right at the top is like heist it's heist police procedural <laughs> yeah Um so the interesting thing about them is they go from things like that which are very specific mm. um and might draw your attention towards 40k more obviously mm. um, you know arbitase procedural or whatever you'd call it yeah um down to like uh ghost story paranormal yeah. horror and then adventure which is so broad in that setting be, and the last one was just war <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and there's only war so yeah it's yeah. anything really
1: I, I i enjoy the the sort of the i see it as almost like a hierarchy of interests so war is at the bottom like there's always you can always do good war stories there's yeah. always going to be good war war stories but how many good heists in the universe how many good ghost stories yeah and
0: that was so like initially i kind of because i'd had an, an, a story knocking on my head for a while which was probably more of the kind of ghost story thing but it was sort of vague. like that was a mm. stretch and then i just sort of walked like as well was painting them all this month that just came up with a different idea for a heist mm. like in in the age of sigma and i wrote that up and i was like okay this is what i should do yeah right and it. that's been a kind of nicer kind of like challenge to actually try and you know okay what does this look like yeah it's
1: really cool uh the windows open until april i believe and there's no limit on submissions so if you get
0: more than one idea you can do there's it a, if you're interested in it there's a very good it's worth going back if you uh you'd have to subscribe to warhammer tv on twitch i think mm. uh, but you can do that with your amazon prime account if you have amazon prime um but if you go back a week or so now week and a half then there's a interview with uh the uh I've forgotten her surname, Charlotte, who's the uh, Black Library Submission Editor, oh, and cool. Nick Kaim, who's one of their authors, um, about this and about what they kind of look for. Yeah. And there's a lot of interesting kind of perspective on it. And yeah. so one of them is that <clears throat> uh they would far rather have, like, one very well-polished submission than lots. Yeah. Because odds are, what they're looking for is the type of writers they want to work with. Mm. They're not looking for... Story ideas, necessarily. Yeah. Yep. So, um, quantity of good ideas isn't as important as writing ability. Like execution, basically. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, apparently a lot of what happens is someone pitches something and they go, this has potential, but why don't you do something completely different? And then they, you know. Yeah. So, you've got to be flexible and able to. Yeah, if it's something that interests you, i definitely work hard on one submission and mm. get lots of feedback on it from people who won't be nice to you. Yeah. Um, and then,
1: do it rather mm. than. That's cool. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big open submission period though. Like it is. It's a long, it's a long time to think about your ideas and get them polished up.
0: Yeah, it is. It's, it's exciting as well. Like it's, it's come at a time when I'm happening to, happening to start, I've just started doing a lot more fiction professionally mm. for games and, um, I say a lot more. It just means that I've gained a second video game. So like there's like a lot more kind of going on in that regard. So it's been nice yeah. to kind of try and like, Apply that stuff and like try and like, okay, how do I do a war ham <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's gonna be, it's gonna be good. And I, I whatever happens, I'll wait to read Inferno when it comes
0: up. Yeah, me too. Um, I like, I, as you, I think you're completely right. Like, short stories are a really mm. great way of, um, well, you know, it's the thing is like, it can sometimes just be a, a box, a box out in a codex is enough to kind of give you an idea. Mm. It's kind of the point of the hobby, right? Like, it yeah. doesn't always take a novel, <clears throat> absolutely. Speaking of stories in the Age of Sigma, there's this thing, Tom, called Malign Portance. Yes. What did Malign Portance turn out to be? It turned out to be a
1: website <laughs> which consolidated a lot of the lore uh, and also initiated a change in direction for the story of Age of Sigma mm. from where it's been previously. So where previously it was the Stormcast Fighting back against corn, pushing back against chaos, you know, reclaiming lands, building cities, allying with other order forces that have become estranged. Now, uh, the fight turns to Shaiish, the realm of death where Nagash is building another bloody black pyramid again. That <laughs> scoundrel, uh, which is, you know. He's only got one trick. <laughs> and every 10 millennia he does it and it always Sort of works. It's His wonder wall. <laughs> uh, Nagash so, is at a house party again. <laughs> he's broken out the guitar, and <laughs> here it is. Uh, so yeah, the, he's. However, it works. He's gained the ability to actually. He's gained an advantage of the war for souls in the edge of Sigma, and uh, it's implied that a lot of souls that were going to Sigma, Nagash has actually been able to retain and turn them into his own servants. And literally, everyone is angry about this. <laughs> Chaos hates it um orcs love it to an extent actually because it means there's gonna be a big fight in chai um sigma hates it so the, everything is is it's one weird trick yeah <laughs> nagash has just trolled the entire aos setting basically with a uh, yeah just malign importance twist turn of events what it means in terms of like releases and stuff is more unclear uh so there's going to be a malign importance book and that's going to contain like battle plans and things and lots of fluff and lore, though I don't precisely understand how it fits in to, is it a new rule book? Is it, you know, is it a campaign book like Firestorm? I mean, or like I, the round gate wars books. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's one, maybe it's like that. Maybe it's like a, a fluff book in that way. Um, but there is going to be, uh, a forces of Nagash, uh, army book. So death is finally going to get its rules refreshed which is desperately needed even though death has been yeah competitive and interesting it's desperately needed to kind of going over and just kind of fixing the key words and um
0: just a reorganization of those forces it needs to be made compliant with matched play yeah right like yeah. it feels like the general's handbook one <laughs> screwed over death If that makes sense
1: yeah i think they, they're both pretty unkind to death like mm. it's simply in terms of faction labeling and what can ally with what and whether you can put a necromancer in a thing and break a keyword, do you know what I mean? Like breaking allegiance, yeah. just cleaning all of that stuff up. Like death just really needs that. Uh, but what I was hoping for was like a big death release to accompany it. Like if it's all going to shayish and all the kind of, uh even the art has changed to become this almost like shade Shadespire, just dark green skull imagery uh, throughout um, the new kind of AOS setting. Um, I was hoping there'd be a, like a, a tease for a big death release and it could still happen but that's
0: not quite what we got from line yeah point. so um and obviously the subsequent r- reveal of a completely different miniatures range yeah. for AOS um suggests heavily suggests that no new models are coming with this apart from the Heralds mm-hmm. so apart from the four yes we've already discussed the actually know well I guess when we last spoke about it we hadn't seen the Lord Ordinator the i calling call the Lordinator the Lordinator yeah
1: <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he, the Sigmar champion with two hammers who's very good at
0: fixing war machines and making them reroll to hit. Yeah, so. which makes it sound like one of those unopened Stormcast chambers. Mm. It's either the, is, is it Logister? Logister chamber or the Ruination chamber?
1: Yeah. Whichever sounds- one
0: sounds like it's more to do with guns. <laughs> yeah,
1: Logister sounds good to me. I don't know what that word means really. It made it worse. <laughs> Calculator chamber. <laughs> <laughs> There's people, scribes in there war scribes um so the Lord, the inator is the first hint uh perhaps a new chamber um though again i don't expect much more in the way of
0: stormcast releases actually anytime soon uh based on the never say never to stormcast, <laughs> stormcast especially yeah, yeah. i yeah. think yes like so i think uh there's some rumors that a lot of the um war scrolls from uh legions and agash had leaked and that means that mm. there are basically no new models it's like right. new uses for existing sculpts new uses for existing kits mm. Um that does mean it doesn't feel like a range refresh in the way that um like when we've seen old fa- rather than new factions, when we've seen old factions get refreshed in Age of Sigmar, it tends to mean there's like a house, there's like a cleanup pass on not just new ideas, but old stuff too. Hmm. So like uh Zeench is the perfect example, not to go back to my wheelhouse, but like, yeah. you know, when they did the big Zech refresh, you got new stuff. Got Zangor, Blue Horrors. uh Sorry, Blue Horrors were old, but didn't, so yeah, perfect example actually. Zangor's complete in the fiction never had a specific model, right? They gained a specific model. Yeah, big part of the army now. Blue Horrors in the fiction there were models, but you could only get them because you got three of them with every chariot. <laughs> so if you wanted to make a unit, yeah, okay that's not very practical so they cleaned all that up so they that up Brimstone Horrors invented right come along and patch f- that yeah, up yeah. and then they also um, they replaced almost all of the old resin models mm. so there's a few left just to them into plastic that's but cool. changeling new, new plastic changeling yeah, like nice. that kind of thing right like moves along. that feels like a really coherent refresh there are a few bits of resin left over mm. of old sculpts but not a lot yeah the same happened with Sylvaneth, the same happened with Nurgle.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a, a refreshing of the old models, moving moving them as plastic where relevant, and then also new models.
0: Death feels like it's not quite that far. Yeah. So I suspect we'll see like some reboxings. Mm. Of, some new sketchy boxes and stuff. Yeah. Of like existing that. of existing plastic, right? Right. Yes, like, yeah. Um but it's not like a new range and there are a few kits that really desperately need it, like Blood oh, yeah. Knights. Right, definitely. Because if I ever did death, it'd be Absolutely. vampires. Yeah. And blood knights are super cool on paper, but they're 60 quid for five. Earth, uh, they're still metal and, as well. And they're resin. Oh my god. Yeah. Like, nah.
1: Yeah. The friendship, uh, he bashed some really nice blood knights, um, rather than do that.
0: Of course, which is always an option. Those, yeah. That's why
1: those rules are still valid and useful and, and exciting to have. They're very cool. Yeah. You could still work around them. But yeah, that, I mean, if they, if they don't do a, that type of release for death,
0: I'd, I'd personally be pretty disappointed. So here's a theory. Mm. We know that we know that GW's miniatures production time is pretty long. Two years mm. for a range, right? Um What's interesting about that is it means that we are only just now only just now getting into the period where new miniatures that are coming out were designed after the big top level managerial shakeup at GW a couple of years ago. Yeah that set them on the path to getting better as a company, which is where they are now. Right. Yeah. Like most of the stuff that's been coming out was designed or like the spark began under previous management, including stuff I suspect like the primaris Marines, Mm. which were probably a kind of like, you know, um, shoring up the company's bottom line thing during a time of greater risk. Right. Hmm. Like companies in trouble. What do we do? New space Marines, double down on space. Marines. Yeah, sure. Um, I suspect that uh, what we'll get to in a minute, the new Witch Elf range, the the new Daughters of Cain, mm. um, was something that was also in the pipe. Um, but one thing that's been very consistent in the AOS community since the last couple of years has been a demand for better rules for death and a, a focus on death yeah. as a kind of faction that really hasn't had very much love. So the thing that can be turned around faster than models is books. Yeah. So I wonder if my guess is, and this is a complete guess, that they knew what they had in the pipe model wise, but there was a desire and there was a desire to do a soft fiction relaunch, which we should also talk about. Yeah. Because it's something that my Importance also comes with. Um but and also to kind of show death some kind of love. So because there aren't new models straight away, death is getting pushed to the front of the story hmm. and to the kind of and to be the kind of like future of the like or at least to become the present of the aesthetic of the game, if that makes sense, right? Like death is everywhere except in the models Hmm. because that might follow. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, it's the, it's the the thing they can do without changing a miniatures production plan that was probably set in stone or quite a while ago. It does make sense, but I think it creates odd expectations because totally. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If you're going to lead so hard with death, um, as a miniatures company you expect the miniatures to follow mm. um and to not get them is, uh, is a shame not that i mean there are loads of blooming great uh death models i mean nagash is still one of the best models in gw's they really range, love the they? mortox yeah the, the mortox are awesome um the only one the only models i don't like in the death range are the um flying bone dudes <laughs> uh, the morgas uh, yeah the morgas who i think look a bit too silly but the rest of it the vampires still look rad uh you're right. That we really some Blood Knights, um, and there is a lot of refreshing. Like I absolutely love the White King model. It's my f- one of my yeah. favorite models in all of Games Workshop skeletons. 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 They just look good. The skeletons look awesome. Uh, yeah. the, and who knows? I'll probably I'll probably buy a few boxes of skeletons. Yeah, the um the ha- the Night of Shrouds looks great as well. He does. He does. Love that model.
0: Um, and it's just uh, yeah.
1: I just really obviously in the mood for some death, Chris.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think gw have got very good at kind of like building hype for stuff, mm. but they need to kind of proportion it. And yeah. I felt like. Um this the whole line importance thing has felt like a bit of a if miniatures are your first and only kind of area of interest, right? Like then it has felt a bit like a kind of strange bait and switch, hmm. where it's like thirty day countdown, thirty day countdown, thirty day countdown to law. But watch <laughs> out, it's a different army you didn't expect. Yeah. Like that—that that has been an odd experience. Like Definitely. I'm kind of into it, but yeah.
1: I mean, I I, I like it, but um, I mean, I'm I'm still enjoy the army and everything, and don't feel like it's spoiled anything. But it feels like the the tone shift and the fiction shift it's totally out of sync with the models that are actually coming out. So the my importance release, and then there's a big Nurgle release. And then yeah. my importance
0: was kind of teased more. And then there's a big witch elf release. And it's like, wow. It feels like, and it feels like the miniature production schedule is out of sync with the fiction. Right? Yeah, like, for sure. For sure. Like, so, cause the the rumor was that Nurgle was delayed, which could be true. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know? that makes sense. Um, It's funny. Cause I just finished reading, um, Nagash, the undying king by Josh Reynolds, which is a really good book. Really yeah, enjoyed cool. it. It got lots of, um, We've got so much to talk about this podcast. Maybe we won't dig into what its implications for the AOS fiction too much, but there's there's lots of great there's lots of great stuff in it. Mm. Like skeletons can be taken by Sigma when they die. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So you can reforge the skeleton as like yes. Venator or something. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's kind of weird. Um And like, uh so there's those things I really love about Josh Reynolds' most recent wave of novels. But one of them is that the Stormcast are always at the edge of the fiction. Sure. And like the Stormcasts aren't in Nagash at all. Right. Except in the beginning. I think I ta- talked about this last month. Uh, I had to reread it till I realized what had happened. Mm. Um But like, um the... um there's, it's just a great bit of storytelling, but basically like you know, at the beginning I said that it's mortals fighting alongside skeletons, and that's mm. the thing they've really yeah, changed throughout the you realm of death. That, yeah. And the, the lead character uh goes is defending a gate and her brother walks out to help her with his army and he's a skeleton because he died years ago. Yeah. Um sort of this is minor spoilers for the first chapter of the book, but um he basically get fate fights faces down like a Nurgle sorcerer by himself and gets like sort of like he's a skeleton, gets like swamped by Mm. bile and then as he's being swamped by bile like clouds gather overhead and then a lightning bolt hits him oh wow and initially i thought that was like nurgle magic right but afterwards it establishes like nurgle doesn't know what the fuck just happened either right and it's like it completely just lets you read between the lines Mm, nice that like that's still watching like he's grabbing those heroes yeah it's like and it's such a great that's so awesome yeah like but it's also a really love lovely like um description of what someone else getting taken by Sigmar looks like when no one knows that's what's happening yeah yeah because just the storm clouds start to form around the battle mm. and then just like one bolt of lightning comes down and takes that guy it's such a cool that's memory. awesome that's really, there's cool. loads of really good stuff in it Um there's a great description of ghoul kings like basically every death faction is in it fighting together mm. and it sort of ends with this massive death as a faction including Nagash who's back now yeah but still mad <laughs> And entitled and his Mortox can't really control him and he's mm. kind of all over the place. And, um, it's, yeah, it's Nagash, uh, Arkan the Black, Neferata, um, a hot, bunch of like, basically like realm of death Viking necromancers who are human and a, like, um, a tribe of ghouls that live in the mountains and think they are kind of like, um, sort of pelt wearing warrior nobles. Mm all fighting a vast Nurgle army um, on a frozen sea. And it's fucking great. Like, yeah, it's really, really, good, good. really good ending. Um, but there's like loads of great watching those pieces intersect is really good and mm-hmm. feels very kind of like makes you excited that death is getting proper allegiance rules and kind of will fit together better as a faction. Yeah, the Mortarks are, are taking a, a a key role in that as well,
1: aren't they? Yeah. So the Mortarks are almost getting different sections of Nagash's force and that their allegiance abilities will flow from the Mortarks, it seems like, from from the, the charts they've shown on Warhammer community anyway. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um and Neferrata has a really big role in it, and um I think I think uh, Josh Reynolds did some of the old, old world um, Neferata books. Oh, cool. So I think he's got like a a history with that character. Yeah. Um, That's cool. But she's great. And all the blood Knights in it, like this is the reason I was so convinced it was going to be new blood Knight kit Mm. is because all of the blood Knights are uh, like sort of these like kind of rad warrior women. There's a great description of them riding out to meet Nurgle yeah and they're just impossibly quick basically because they're vampires so mm. but what's kind of interesting about this is and then there's a recurring there's a character who is in both this book and the spirit spirit shadows. shadows well shadows, I, remember, I remember them yeah yeah um adam is in both and i think this is set before spirit of shadows okay because oh so it's yeah. like a revenge like a yeah like um okay. and she's great in this because she's she's not like a main character like she's in spirit of shadows mm. that she just sort of makes fun of people but like all of the vampires are, as you'd expect, the vampiest people <laughs> there are, right? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, Ademar is a blood knight who calls mortals poppet. doesn't matter who they are. She calls <laughs> right. them poppet. Yeah. And doesn't eat them because she's on her best behavior and she's extremely bored by the idea. So mm. just sort of like hangs around a lot. And she's great. And so when they did this teaser, at the end of the kind of Malign Porton's teaser arc uh which was all on the videos where that kind of seer kind of sees the different factions converging on shyish Yeah. Uh he, his uh, his kind of scrying pool talks back to him and says, you know, when my daughters find you you're in trouble mm. and it's a very vampy woman's voice. My first instinct was that it was Neferata. Yeah. Because we have a queen queen of blood in this case Hmm. um so this is the kind of like overlap of aesthetic in in the more important thing you have a queen of blood who has a daughter whose daughters quote unquote Hmm. are warrior women that ride out into the world to enact her will but it wasn't that one. It was the, the other, other one. <laughs> it was. It was Marathi. It was Marathi, along. the Shadow Queen. Yeah. rather than the Queen of
1: Blood. Mm. But she's, she's got her own blood cauldrons and all sorts of yeah, things. Yeah, she right. has blood cauldrons uh, and, yeah. and daughters.
0: And lots of daughters, yeah. Um, so yeah, actually, before we get on to Daughters of Cain, because it is, obviously, and that is the new range. Yeah. Guess what, everybody? Yeah. It's elves. It's, it's elves all along. <laughs> Shadow elves. It's elves like all that. along. Um, one thing I do want to say is that if... Uh we had people talk about in the past about uh, writing about how they've struggled to connect with AOS as a setting. Yeah. And I did really like the new Malign important website does have like a timeline, but also specifically the realms video. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. really good.
1: Actually maps them out properly, doesn't it? Explains how they work. Yeah. Yeah. It works really well. So um, they actually show, they describe a realm. They say like, it's obviously a vast thing, but it has edges and the edges like just dissolve into... A mad, and mad kind pure of, magic of that type. basically yeah. yeah just as a place of insanity, but also there is space between these realms that are full of just Cthulhu type creatures, and the the they're all lit by <laughs> the day night cycle. I love this. Is uh dictated by the realm of light and the realm of shadow orbiting one another and then kind of blocking each other out as they circle right yeah uh so you know uh, when you see day the sun you see the, the the light that falls on your realm is actually the realm of light just kind of coming back around um and it, yeah it's really evocative it's really cool uh, yeah and it's something they've needed to do for ages because it's very it just lets you picture it just in your mind just it brings up something in your mind's eye and that's just a little anchor that you've got. Like, that's one thing that the realms were lacking. Uh, the, it's tricky to get a handle on, um, lands that are supposed to be sort of infinitely vast. It's like, What's important then, if everything is just so big? You know, what really matters? Why does territory matter? Why does holding yeah, a fort yeah. matter? Why does losing a battle for this plane matter if it's so huge? And I think they've not quite established that yet. Like,
0: apart from the cities, they've obviously introduced. To be fair, though, I don't think Forty K has either, except for mm. the places that have been have have the benefit of decades of fiction about them. Yeah, and Earth, because mm. as we have an attachment to that, right? Yeah, like. At this point in Forty K's life, no one gave two shits about Cadia <laughs> or Fenris or mm. Prospero or you know. What I mean, like, but they they all have a lot of significance. So Cadia is just
1: like the last line of defense. Sure, it is, is the now eye of terror, Um or was. I mean, before it fell, obviously. And I'm yeah. sure everything's fine there. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also, and Fenris, like these places, take on significance because they are the homes of factions um, that's true yeah and it's it's difficult to say the same for the realms so like gyran is the realm of beasts Is like what's strategically important to any faction about any section of that land and uh, it's the sort of thing i'd I'd like to uh, i'd like to know more about to be honest like, yeah i think the next step is to kind of ground some factions in some particular places yeah i think so because the idea that like for silverleth for example i mean um they were a big part of the Realmgate wars fiction yeah. And you got a, um, it did do quite a good job of, you know, telling you about the enclave that the, the Sylvaneth had retreated to. So they'd been pushed back by Nurgle and that they were able to expand again. But that's one of the few examples of that, really. Like, it feels like Fire Slayers could just turn up anywhere. It feels like Stormcast, obviously, by their very nature, are going to turn up anywhere. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, 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 I'd like to see it evolve
0: a bit more. There's a good, um, off topic, but there's a good, uh, description of realm of death sylvaneth towards the end of oh cool nagash and dank yeah, interesting subject. Uh, like, that's an idea not that I've quite the interested. same idea that you've had which is they can coexist which is the benefit of yeah a, that's a true story. that's really true Um it's more like these are the kind of uh, sylvaneth that have taken on themselves to escort dead Death to the underworld oh right that's really cool so they like, sort of yeah like huh. the trees well, on soul the... plots and soul plots and things yeah uh... like trees on
1: the road to death <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool I like that. That stuff's good. That's the thing that I love about AOS, actually, is that that type of story couldn't exist in the Old World. Like, yeah. the Old World, uh, as we've said many times, is, like, I loved it. But you couldn't do that kind of concept of a story, could you? Like you no. know, Because uh, the trees are just in Athel Loren, and that's where they live. Yeah. And they're not going to go anywhere else, really. They just protect the forest. Yeah, and Athel Loren is always going to sound like a Tolkien thing.
0: <laughs> Very true, yeah. And they all look like Tolkien elves, so... Yeah, hmm, funny. Uh Yes. So, anyway, so that brings us to... Uh so the other thing the important is actually quickly is that there is this uh campaign that 's running, hmm. so it starts with like it 's obviously this is sort of a community building marketing kind of event thing. But actually, yeah. I find this sort of thing quite fun so it 's hmm. gonna be a six week campaign beginning in mid February which they 're billing as a kind of like mass choose your own adventure kind of thing based on buying and painting and playing miniatures games at the stores and wherever yeah. reporting results. Like these sorts of things have always happened, and they've always sort of worked, and so I expect this yeah, to sort of work
1: it will sort of work the The trouble with these things like they I like them and they're good ideas, and it's nice to have that kind of interaction between the community and the company. but the same factions always win really it's mm-hmm. always the order faction that wins it's always the space marines that win like Apart you wasn't that to- one time
0: Orcs won <laughs> really yeah, when the first that? oh god it's the it's 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 the the end of the first kind of the first version of End Times oh okay so there's a bit of parallelism accidental parallelism you know how like there were literally like two or three 13th Black Crusades in 40k yeah um the first time I can't remember the exact circumstances but I'm pretty sure the first time Archaon invaded the old world properly and got as far as the gates of Altdorf or whatever yeah um, orcs won the phone vote they did <laughs> and no one was expecting that. That's so hilarious. it just ended with an orc walking out of a crowd and kicking Archeon in the balls. That's not a joke. Really? That happened. <laughs> that an and Archeon pick- was like, oh shit, I better go then. And like, no, oh, was no. That. Yeah. oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Cause they, they had no ending written for like, yeah, what if orcs you'd win? You'd hope they'd prepare for that uh, <laughs> if destruction. <laughs> I've probably butchered quite a famous bit of Warhammer Old World uh, history there, but nonetheless that that did actually pretty happen. much what happens well, that's uh that's
1: hilarious nonetheless like i'd expect fully i mean i don't know i, I hope to be proven wrong
0: like be uh, kind of rad of chaos one one you know yeah i'm sort of so i'm kind of into this because so i decided that because um when they announced they were doing this muster and the first part of the muster is paint to start collecting box mm. and when that was announced i was three models in to the corn start collecting box and I'm now like eight models to go yeah. in the start collecting box. So I'm probably just going to finish it rather than do what yeah, I was doing yeah. with skirmish. It's just finish it. And then I can participate in this thing and just, you know, get some points on the points side. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sort of in, but in a sort of, because it fits the route I was already on. Right? Yeah. Like I haven't rushed out to buy a start collecting box in order to participate. Mm. I'm just sort of plonking in because it is fun. It is fun to kind of like. It is. Yeah. Um, You know part of a community event basically. Yeah. I wonder
1: actually if this will actually break down along order chaos lines um because they've, they've yeah. got different uh, the names of different kind of f- results or factions or yeah. something. Yeah, like the Drake and Yeah, so maybe they might have solved this by breaking it out of the grand alliances and actually making something else happen you know defining yeah
0: maybe two it's two more ways. about outcomes yeah so you can end up with a situation where chaos and order both went this, want the same outcome to a particular event or something yeah and then yeah so i'd be interested to see the actual execution might have changed so solve this yeah yeah that'd be interesting it'd be interesting if like um i don't know if the if the bonuses you were fighting for weren't like faction specific but were like you know Units with two or more wounds get re-rolls of hits for the next phase or something. Mm. And so different factions want that for different reasons. Yeah, yeah. That would be interesting. You know what I mean? Something yeah, like that. Yeah, right. yeah.
1: That's a complete strip ball. But like- I, I like the idea as well. This time, there's like a multi-stage thing where they talk, talk about like choose your own adventure, but it's got more branching paths than the cities thing did. So um a few years ago, they did uh one of these for establishing three new cities in the Age yes. of setting which Order won comfortably so the cities got established and now loads of books are set in those cities like it has actually changed the course of the narrative though it never felt as though Order was not going to win that if you know what I mean um, yeah. whereas there are more states. it would be hilarious
0: if Chaos had won it
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep still fucked sorry everyone is still having a terrible time we can't write these books we're just going to write books about how Corn just you know decapitates everyone and yeah. it's, it's doing really well um, no but uh, I mean I guess thankfully it went the other way um, this time it looks was- there's feels like there's multiple stages to it and it could actually, there could be some interesting wrinkles, uh, in a way that that, that story
0: didn't, couldn't have any because it was either, oh, this happens or it doesn't. Yes. Yeah. That's fair. Um, nonetheless, so that's the things happening. Like I think by the time we record next month's podcast, we'll have the book. Yeah. We'll have the models oh, yeah. and we can maybe like have sort of embarked on the first part of analysis. Yeah. I'm interested to see how those, I think my final thing on my importance is I really want to find out how those, Herald characters, the kind of hero characters mm. work because, so there were leaked war scrolls and I suspect they might be real, but yeah. like. The Lord of Nature one looks like it's legit. Um, but the thing that surprised me about them is they're very army specific. Mm. So the Dark Earth War creed is very specifically for a safe to darkness army, which means she doesn't plug into just any chaos army. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, probably does as an ally, but not as a leader. Mm. And that goes against the fiction. So that's one of the things that had me suspecting that when either either those aren't real, which is perfectly possible. Yeah. They're very they they they'd be completely fakeable based on the information that's already been given. That's so true. that's fine. Yeah. Um Or there's sort of supplemental rules. Mm. Like some other kind of like special campaign specific things. Yeah. Which is like regardless of allegiance, your general can be one of these um heralds kind of thing. That's a complete guess, but like I'd really like to see how they fit in. Because what yeah. I'd like to do is kind of walk into the next phase of our games when we get back to doing full scale aos with like a Dark Earth War Queen as my temporary general or yeah. something like that, right? Yeah, that'd be cool, but might not support that. Mm. Maybe the Line Points book will shed more light.
1: I, I think it's it's been a, a confusing series of announcements and releases. Really, the whole yeah. Line Points thing has been. I think it's confused the community. I was confused about it. I don't, I still don't know what that book is, what the Malign Importance book really is, you know? Um, and it's really cool that AWS is, is still moving, but I don't quite know where it's going, <laughs> even though they've done all this. Yeah. It hasn't
0: been for something that was such a, and you know, it's a good website. It's got a lot of good short stories on it. Like, yeah. You know, you yeah. yeah there's really short nice. stories. They're good. Like there's loads of things to mull over, but like it's been a confusing. It feels like there was, there's a moment where they should have just said what it is. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's kind of confusing to – you couldn't put it in a sentence
1: because it is such a kind of soft reboot of the lore, as you say. But it's also implying model releases, but I don't know, it's sort of not as well because the model releases are different to the factions they're
0: talking about. So it's it's a confusing one. Um, We'll have to see how it plays out. Let's talk about some actual model releases. Yeah. So we now know that the next army release for Age of Sigmar is Daughters of Cain. The elves, the first elves for the new setting. Elves from the Realm of Shadow. Yep. Done with Hiding. And there's quite a lot to unpack about this. Yeah. So the, it's a I obviously a new army book, Daughters of Cain, um, and a set of new, so basically what looks like three new kits, right? Um, sort of snake women. Yep. Um, who can be armed with her spears or bows. So that, basically I'm assuming a dual kit. Yep. That would seem to make sense. That to makes me. sense. Um, harpies, Mm. Or I think they're maybe Furies now, like yeah. winged, very angry, furious elf furious warriors, elf dudes, um, with again multiple weapon loadouts, mm. and a new Marathi sculpt, yep, which is rad. Really like the Marathi. Yep. Really like it. it. That's almost making me go <laughs> like, I'll oh, buy. This is counts as one model. <laughs> that that but does awesome it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's been some interesting rumors around that model. Um. And then a teaser of a much bigger snake bodied lady mm. suspiciously holding the same weapon as Marathi. Yes. And absolutely. there's a, so Marathi, if you're not aware is the, i guess got a, a recurring dark elf, um, sort of villain basically. So yeah. formerly kind of chaos aligned mother of Malakith, now Malarian, um, Eaten by Slanesh. Yeah. Now not eaten by Slanesh. She got out. <laughs> she slithered out. She specifically said she slithered out. Yeah. So she seems to have absorbed some Slanesh on the way out, but is no longer aligned to chaos. Yeah. And is instead very angry about chaos mm. and is bringing that ire and desire to flay people <laughs> to order. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Join us. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the, <laughs> She says, uh, she slithers out of the jaws of Slanesh, basically. Um, which is interesting because Slanesh was supposed to be like captive, right? Like, didn't, and the Dark Elves captured Slanesh and Well, so no, no,
0: Tyrion and Teclis captured gotcha, Slanesh and right. Malerian. Like that's, that's yeah, okay. one of the reasons Chaos won in Age of Sigmar and they had a backstory. Yeah. Is because Tyrion and Malerian Malekith basically abandoned Sigmar to go hunt Slanesh. Right. And they succeeded. Yes, and at some point, uh, Marathi got eaten. Escaped. <laughs> she was already eaten because she was eaten during the end times. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's how she survived. It's
1: like it's like the best episode of Neighbours ever. Isn't yeah, it? Like, soap not, operas go. Yeah. Previously on Warhammer. <laughs> so okay, she got eaten. She survived. She came back, but came back a bit wrong. And The fact that some of the daughters of Cain now are snake people, and that tentacle imagery is a big
0: part of yeah. Because well. so, there was one that already was. Because okay. the blood rack shrine miniature mm. has a Medusa in it, which is a snake Right, woman Yeah. Who's in that case sitting in a bowl of blood. Yeah. Just cause you, it's just so you know, you, good guys. Yeah. These are the good guys. <laughs> <laughs> Order everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically lots of question marks over it, but however, I really do like the new models. I think. Yeah. Um, it's a cool update to, to a range that like the witch elf range, which is like probably not, you know, if you were, I'll put it this way. If you were self-conscious about your resurgent model collection, you probably don't go deep on which elf straight away because mm. it's mostly naked <laughs> screaming eighties head yeah. murder women. However, they have updated that idea and you can definitely talk about the problems with the kind of, you know, the idea of mm. like, you know, uh, I don't know how common a trope, the kind of BDSM murder elf was <laughs> before GW did it oh like there I is there like, aren't like fetish elves in
1: tolkien i kind of see it as being like a conan thing the yeah it varies yeah yeah um it, it, you do get that kind of like scantily armored but you know warrior woman thing it, that comes
0: from old pulp fiction as well like you know it's old pulp yeah it does it's interesting watching it kind of get redeveloped because i'd actually say that the dark earth war queen fits that as well yeah however like the way those characters are framed like we had a there's an interesting conversation about this on discord where there's a, uh, Range was announced, but like, uh, um, miniatures games do definitely have a problem with like male gazy pinup design. Hmm. And there's something about these models, despite the fact that they show a lot of, there's a lot of skin that don't quite have, don't put me off in quite the same way because they express a lot of like attitude and a lot of the most recent GW sculpts have put a lot of emphasis on like musculature Mm. and kind of like combat positioning and things like that whereas like the games with the most egregious kind of like pin-up designs tend to that's the entire model from pose to i think the posing
1: is actually a lot of it it's like if you uh the witch elves always look like they're in a fight. They're like, they look like, they're about to kick ass, you know, that that's the, the theme. That's the story of the model is that I'm about to, you know, flame this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Horribly. Um, and I think that, I think actually the new models they've added have kind of, uh, have refined the look of the old models in a way that like they've yes. pushed them in a direction that actually makes them like warrior
0: Queens rather than kind of pin up, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing kind of sort of like passive about at all. Like, yeah. Like, and, um, Marathi's, uh, so there's the assumption there might be two Marathi models, like yeah. snake version and... That would be very interesting. Mortal version. I can't think of a model like that that would transform in the middle of a, a game or, or you field one or the other, perhaps. Yeah, it'd be really interesting. Yeah. But the, her kind of like, what looks like the kind of update of her traditional model, even though she's still wearing the kind of like, you know, dark elf iron bikini kind of thing, mm. has such a kind of like commanding presence. It's such a great... It feels like the anti elarial, which is... a great way of positioning because it's two sort of um, polar opposite elven queens basically and she has a great expression on her face as she's kind of pointing this trident in a kind of accusatory way yeah
1: like an imperious kind of uh, glare
0: (laughs) yeah which is like if you compare it with the Ilario model where she's like holding the trident up Mm. in a kind of like uplifting kind of heroic way and she looks sort of ethereal and kind of otherworldly and Marathi looks much more grounded Mm. but also like she's completely better than everything near like it's it's sort of like it's really interesting Mm. kind of you know credit to how much personality can get into a facial expression those are the things for me that make this range interesting rather than like you know the danger zone that a lot of these games get into when they do like the all women warrior faction Mm. and it's just kind of embarrassing kind of pin-up sculpts right yeah yeah they've definitely avoided that i'm i think they're
1: I think they're, uh, they're a really exciting army that I can't let myself collect right now because of the pile of shame, but yes. I can't, I can't wait to see their rules as well. Like their rules yeah, could yeah. be super interesting. Uh, cause they're a big kind of almost like corn like the idea of just loads of witch elves just rushing well, forwards. They love blood and their gods called Cain. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but they've also like, I wonder to what extent law wise they'll work in the Slameshi influence. So I do feel like that is a part of the story now and, and it'd be an interesting, yeah. especially if um, so for, in 40, well, 40,000, the Chaos Primarch for Slaanesh was the Empress, is the Empress Children. Fulgrim. Uh Yeah, Fulgrim, who has turned into a giant Medusa type snake yeah. monster. That's kind of, uh, Slaanesh is like that. That's kind of visual imagery yes. associated yeah. with Slaanesh. And the fact that you're getting snake women as part, as a unit and uh, this potential alternative form of Marathi who is almost like using power she's perhaps taken from, from Slaanesh in some way.
0: Yeah. That's a really interesting angle. It is a really interesting angle because the old like Warhammer cult of Slaanesh stuff, which Marathi was attached to, yeah. which else were attached to, was I think like I think GW are struggling with Slaanesh because Slaanesh was the expression of a lot of quite cheap kind of exp- like those kinds of same kinds of urges that still drive shitty pin up female miniatures mm. in games. Like it was the notion that uh, sex is scary, but also exciting, but also kind of deeply heteronormative and kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, sure. and that, you know, we'll have cult of Slaanesh elves that are sexy ladies that mm. want to murder you, but in a sexy way. Right. Like, so literally rescuing that faction from Slaanesh and saying that they're furious and are coming to murder Slaanesh and everyone, everyone, everyone involved yeah. is, a, is, a, is a way of almost redeeming it a bit. Yeah like, it's interesting that, yeah, like, cause while they were still like attached to the God of pleasure, an excess. Hmm. The clothing and the, the armor and the designs had a completely different aspect, hmm. if, if that makes sense. The other thing they've done, which I think is super cool, is they've deliberately brought in a more explicit Greek myth kind yeah. of style. The imagery is really cool in that Which period. was obviously always there, because they always had Medusas and, and yeah. Gorgons and, and things like that. But that links it not just to those kind of mythological creatures, but also to things like the Furies, like, you know, uh, specifically avenging Warrior women, yeah, but also like uh the back eye like the you know this notion of like um sort of like you know violent um sort of uh i don't know feminine but like you know sort of like a sort of that sort of revenge on society kind of aspect hmm. is a really interesting thing to introduce to a range that did have kind of like good aspects and bad aspects. So from that point of view, I think it's really promising. Um, and yeah, like I think obviously Shane Powell being what it is, I'm again, it's like curious to see it come out, interested to find out more. Yeah. But I could definitely think if I ever decided to do like a small order army, mm. I think this is the direction I would go. Yeah, now. Yes. Um From a fiction perspective, having um,
1: an order army that kind of could be seen as bad guys is actually a really cool, uh space for friction to happen between the order of Yeah, for future books and things like that um i mean the closest you get is the sylvaneth who are just kind of alien but it's interesting to do this faction who actually have goals and needs that are more understandable and more yeah. vengeful and that, that kind of wronged greek god thing is a really cool place to start telling stories
0: yeah uh, yeah that Metal is awesome <laughs> can't wait to see what they do yeah it, like Uh, tune in next month when I admit to having broken my (laughs) rule just to paint that model because it is great yeah Um, on that note I think we don't want news (laughs) we should talk about what we've been painting and doing this month Tom should do a hobby section of some kind what have you been up to hobby wise this month Uh, so I've I've painted uh, um,
1: as I said earlier like completed chunks of things like whole units so I've done shades by orcs just got them done pretty much um and you could always go back and touch these things up but basically mm. uh fixed color scheme went you know model by model just and there are only four of them obviously but just getting them done in a timely fashion uh to a, a standard that i'm happy with is really deeply satisfying and then i repeated that with the uh the spike revenants that i painted and one of the things i've really enjoyed about doing both of these is that i painted gold for so long chris <laughs> i've painted <laughs> really? so much gold that I forgot what what other colours were like and what other paints were like, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So there's suddenly going over to like rusty, battered up orcs with kind of zigzaggy patterns, uh, and then going over to Sylvaneth with their beautiful organic shapes, and they could be any colour you want. They really can, Sylvaneth. Like it's not like they're not regimented in the way that uh, the Stormcast are. You feel like there's so much freedom for you to paint it, paint them in colours that you know trees aren't the colors <laughs> the colors i picked are not tree colors there are people coming out of the trees tom you know there are, like. p- exactly so it doesn't matter so it, i love the freedom of the soft net i'm really really enjoying painting them and they're very very forgiving as well because while there's lots of detail on the models it, it's a classic case of like washes and dry brushes just being absolutely brilliant for them for bringing out all the detail all the bark kind of sculpting that's, that they do and there's not much in the way of like uh, metal trim or like unforgiving small details. There are a few mm. small gems, but nothing too mad. Uh, and they're uh, they're they're lovely kits because they in- imply a lot of detail, give you a lot of detail without having to you know pick all of it out meticulously like yeah. you do with a lot of you know with some Stormcast models and obviously a lot of Siege models and that kind of that whole style. So I've really enjoyed painting them. Um, I'm really happy with my colour scheme for them as well for the entire Sylvan Army. Um, I really enjoyed kind of going off piece and not doing. Uh, just traditional green and brown, um, just going like with dark purples from my spite revenants with, um, leaves as the pop colors and there are leaves all over all of those models. Uh, and I've, uh, finally found a use for, um, the salt I got from the Krakow salt mine, <laughs> which I've, uh, put on the bases of my spite revenants, which you'll probably be able to see in the pictures. And they look like just little crystals and it's just a little bit of variation, a little bit of something else on the base mm. and the tufts are, are green. And um, I actually left them green. Normally I dry brush them. You can dry brush tufts and actually change their color. So that's a good tip if you're trying to get um, mm. those tufts to fit in with your scheme. And given that tufts are basically just little dry brushes.
2: <laughs> exactly. Point, yeah. dry, brush,
1: just... dry brush, dry brush. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the state of hobby I've reached. Kind of, uh, <laughs> inception of hobby. I'm dry brushing dry brushes now. That's it. Uh, yeah. And I actually, I didn't because like purple and green clash, but actually having a bit of that on the base helps everything else pop somehow just like a little bit of variation a little bit of contrast you know and 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 the more i I paint stuff the more i want to get a bit braver about putting bits of contrast in without overwhelming the models you know Uh, and i and i feel like i've kind of gotten somewhere with those um and right now i'm painting uh tricher or Draker, I don't know how, how you say pronounce it. Um, Draker Hammerdreth, who's an enormous, basically a dreadnought full of bees. <laughs> that is what Draker is. And it's an amazing model. It's so imposing and huge. And um, I'm painting a, her in the same scheme as these um, Spike Revenants, who themselves are actually a slightly different colour to the rest of my Sylvaneth, who yeah. are tend to be reddy-brown. I really like the purple. Really nice Yeah, it's, I went dark with them because they're supposed to be exiles. Like the, the idea of the spite Revenants and Draker is that they are exiled from the rest of the Sylvan Earth for unknown reasons, but they can just sweep into a battle from too
0: many lot. bees. <laughs> Probably
1: <laughs> that's what I, I would definitely throw Dryker out of a club for too many bees. Like just keep the bees in, Draker. Yeah. Uh yeah. So there's gonna be like a contingent of mad bee <laughs> sorry. people sorry my mind just went to the pun <laughs> bees by draker <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't really make any sense no, it doesn't I mean, oh, there's so many bees in my army like uh, we'll talk about a skirmish later but you know in previous skirmish batches, um uh the the branch which ability to just set off bees yeah. like I, I what a great mechanic for an army <laughs> yeah <laughs> i love it but yeah, those are great. I'm really looking forward to seeing what we do at Draker as well because it's, it's such a cool model. She's an awesome model and uh, just so swingy and weird. Uh, I think she's going to introduce a, a good note of chaos into our games that I think is going to be not quite plenty enjoyable. of chaos,
0: Tom. Not actual
1: chaos, not capital C chaos, but <laughs> yeah. BK, B chaos, B-related chaos. I don't know what yeah. faction that is. Lowercase B chaos. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I don't know what faction um, bees are, or uh, you know what Grand Alliance bees fit into, but apparently Order is. It's chaos, it's surely. As, close as it gets, but it's not actually,
0: destruction because they're unnaturally creative. They are. Yeah. Well, yes, they're actually, ordered. let's, let's pause ordered, this. Actually. Let's pause this already long podcast to <laughs> oh, try what, and figure this out. What grand alliance do bees belong to? <laughs> well, it's probably order, right? It's got to be order because they're, they're all functional society. Yeah, they migrate as one, mm. like the forces of order do between realms. <laughs> they build. They build. Um, they're not anarchists no right? um, they're
1: very ordered and hierarchical yeah. actually yeah i mean maybe they're definitely order creatures
0: yes you could argue that there's sort of like a philosophical similarity with some aspects of death mm. in the, the sort of like the kind of hierarchical structure right the kind of the tithe owed to a single kind of oh, yeah. great queen at mm. the top that could be similar to that is like death death like structure but it's not specific no um they're not destructive right like no they're not they only
1: that's hornets they only defend them so yeah hornets their chaos yeah hornets the orcs and bees <laughs> their destruction yeah, yeah good well if you want us to classify any more you know species as a grand alliance then that's a question for future pods but I'm glad we've established that yeah um, anyway I, that, that's been my hobby for the most part I I, I've, I've built some scenery which I described last time but I've not painted that yet um, and I, I still haven't painted my Star Drake
0: <laughs> yeah. January Star Drake watch Yeah oh god how many months guardian of the he's like he sits on your shame pile like Smaug
1: does I mean uh, I think that what's actually holding me back from it as much as anything else is he's quite gappy as a model and I need to get some green stuff in there and do it properly do it and I'm really not comfortable with green stuff it's
0: fine just start stuffing yeah. it in there just jam it in there yeah honest to god yeah. just jam it in it there it just works there. because the whole point of green stuff is it's malleable for a while so you can mm. smooth it out and then it's sculptable mm. so then you just trust yourself to sculpt the gap back in. Right. And then if it's an organic shape, which it is, mm. then it'll probably be fine. Also, a lot of the armor and stuff will probably end up kind of like, yeah, covering a lot exactly. of stuff. Anyway. Practically like you're yeah. not trying to green stuff a, you know, the front half of a bolt gun that's missing and you've got to match the original sculpt, right? No, you're trying to make a kind of organic scale, scaly bit. Yeah. Look organic and scaly, which is the easiest thing to do. Fill in a dragon's
1: armpit. That's all <laughs> i w that's all I'd want to do. Um, yeah, you're right. I just need to get on with it. And it, the, the model's rad, actually. Um, I do like the model, even though I've got some issues with the posing of it. Um painting, it will be... They're very really, static really
0: pose, aren't they? They're kind of... Yeah. Like, I'm standing on this!
1: Yeah. Ah. I, and the, the legs are just weird. The legs are just weird, joint-wise. Just I think the an Drakoth up to Star Drake kind of dragon design is kind of all over the place. Yeah, definitely. Like, the the, the Drakoth's look awesome. I, I'm totally 100% on board with them. But then, like... To tw- what... <laughs> like should a dragon have like where should the elbows be and how many elbows should there be in an arm yeah uh, uh, that's that's what's gone wrong for me it's just like the way that um the front legs particularly bend in various ways are they like horse legs or are they supposed to be you know i mean i don't know what they're trying to how they're supposed to work
0: so this is nuts and i don't want to go off (laughs) too much of a tangent and also i don't want to rip off uh the very good podcast, my brother and my brother and me, but definitely look up what horse legs actually are. <laughs> really? Cause I listened to a podcast about this very recently and fuck me. I didn't realize that. Are they mostly forearm? They're, they're fingers. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's a revelation. <laughs> I'm not going to, so there's together. a very good bit about this. And the most recent, my brother, or well, I think the most recent, my brother and my brother and me, I'm not going to go any deeper into that. Okay. But you mentioned it. God, that's a, that's a huge dangling unresolved thread. Hooves are nails.
1: ah. <gasps> the leg is finger Ugh! that had a moment of like just like existential horror yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and um, now
1: we have to do exterminatus on this entire world absolutely yeah send in the
0: send in the custodes. <laughs> get rid of the horses <laughs> weird fingers so actually next time somebody tells you that um there aren't in, you know, the AOS is too dependent on freaky mounts. Mm. Um, remind, you know, that there aren't enough just ordinary cavalry models. Remind them the horses are secretly the freakiest mount <laughs> <laughs> and everything else is just playing catch up. Oh man. That's um, crazy. What was your, <laughs> anyway,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm disturbed deeply by that. <laughs> so, uh, distract me, Chris, with your hobby. Okay.
0: Yeah. Your hobby. So, month. um, I had, I've had a bit of a weird month because I didn't, in terms of like finished painted models, I haven't actually had a very productive month, but a big part of that, so the, the few things I the first thing was first half of the month, the weather was fucking terrible, hmm. like really, really cold, then wet and then cold and wet, and very re- and very windy, and very rarely conducive to spraying models, yeah, so um what I did a lot of early in the month was. Uh, building and getting more comfortable with green stuff and kind of like all of that side of it. Hmm. So um, a big chunk of time was uh, building and sort of mini bit of converting, bit of kit bashing, all 30 of my upcoming Zango. Hmm. So, and I've gotten as far as uh, base coating 29 of them and then one of them is done as a test model. Um, and so that was, and I thought, because this is going to be like a, I I'm approaching that block of thirties angle like I would a big showcase model. Because yes. it's it's a showcase unit, right? Like I'm not mm. gonna have more than one of them. I'm gonna sit them at the centre of my army and they're gonna be cool looking. Um And so I really wanted to dig a bit into them. I think I mentioned this a little bit last month, but like I really this is the month I did it. Um really wanted to like plan out how the unit was going to work and have a sense of the fiction around them and how it kind of functions. Cause like for me, like the units on a, in a game of Warhammer kind of represent like probably a bigger army that feeds in and out of those units. Yeah. Right. To, to explain like they die and come back. Right. Like mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, and so for my Zangor, I kind of wanted this to be representative of this kind of like whole kind of, uh, like coven of Zangor that kind of roam And uh, because this angle can have great weapons, swords and shields, or be mutants. There's lots of different kind of options. And out of the box, there's only really one piece of the actual kit that supports being a mutant, which is the kind of split head where the head is tearing in half. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to kind of convert up those. I just wanted to differentiate the leader and stuff like this. I think I talked about some of this last month, but basically, um, this meant kind of just getting more comfortable with green stuff. So, um, my idea for it sort of story-wise is that the Zangor themselves are kind of um, former humans because they tend to be like, but they sort of, because uh, Zango are supposed to be super smart. Like they're not best, they look bestial, but they're very clever, like yeah. they're cleverer than humans. They, you know, they're capable spellcasters and et cetera, right? Okay. They are Zinch's beast men. So yeah. they are intellectual, the thinking beast man, if you will. But I kinda of like the idea that the mutants because we talked about this last um last time, like what's a mutant when you're already a birdman? Yeah. And so I kinda of want this idea that like I wanted to create this idea that um some of them are a little bit more blessed by zeench than others, but it makes them less practically less suitable for command. Because those are the ones that are literally turning into demons. Right. Like they're kinda of like you know falling over the so i wanted to like create a sense of like unstable mutation in a few of them and those are the mutants hmm. that have some extra they get an extra attack in in game those purposes so um but i didn't you know but i also wanted my leader the the unit leader to be a guy with a great a, a great weapon i wanted the standard bearer to be a, uh, a zangle with a great weapon so this kind of explanation like if the mutants are simply the best ones why isn't the leader a mutant yeah so the idea is that like the leader with the great weapon is sort of like the one that's in charge and the uh, horn blower can be a mutant mm. because his job is to partially turn into a pink horror and blow a horn. <laughs> like, um but the notion that the sort of like the blessed ones are the ones that sort of get like put at the Vanguard, mm. but sort of not necessarily put in charge, almost like a kind of Zinch version of death company. Yeah. You know, that kind of like you've been touched by this great power, and it's a huge privilege, but you probably shouldn't be giving any orders because you're turning into <laughs> don't do my accounts. Yeah, exactly. Um and so obviously and that's sort of expressed by the the you know the official sculpt for this, which is the one whose head is tearing itself in half. Yeah. So what I did, a lot of it's quite subtle, but like um because they're easy to do with green stuff, and I'm still trying to get comfortable using it to any kind of real degree of finesse, um I gave all of the mutants like uh extra tentacles. I, I I basically pooled all of the Zangor sprues from the Skyfire and Enlightened Kit and all of three boxes of Zangor I had mm. to make sure that, because there are different kinds of Zangor heads and necks, and some of them have feathers and hair, and some of them have tentacles. Right. So I made sure that the only ones that have tentacles are the mutants. Mm. And all of those have additional, like, green stuff tentacles. In some cases, they're just sprouting, and they sprout out of places that most of them don't have any kind of growth. So they're coming out of, like, shoulder blades and things like that. Yeah. One of them that I'm really pleased with has, I covered like um, one of his eyes has kind of grown over, which I've made with green stuff and the tentacles growing out of his eye mm. and curling around one of his horns. And yeah, it's bad news. Which is kind of like, you know, like I've been given a great vision. It's my eye popping <laughs> off and swimming out of my face. Mm. <laughs> like, you know, trying to keep it zinchy, but sort of express that stuff. So yeah. that's part of it. And then another part of it was like kit bashing the leader, learning to make ribbon out of green stuff. So I could give him like a kind of, ceremonial banner around his uh weapon uh kit bashing the standard bearer because standard bearers kind of bother me because like what weapon are they actually armed with can yeah. you kill someone with a flag i don't think so and mm-hmm. i wanted him to have a great oh, a great weapon for game reasons so i ended up snipping the bottom off the standard and marrying it to the bottom of a zangora enlightened spear so the top of the, cause the standard for the Zangor isn't actually that big. Yeah. Like, so the top of it is a banner and the bottom of it is a kind of Zinchi and spear. So mm. it does look more like a great weapon now. So did loads of that, uh, worked on that for ages and then got them all sprayed. Uh, I painted a test model and, uh, I, I posted this to, to Instagram ages ago, but just to kind of, in case people would not see or whatever. Like the thing about that was like the first time I did the Zangor for Silver Tower, I did spent a week on each pair. Yeah. It was three weeks to so do all six different projects. Yeah. And I've changed some things about the color scheme, about how do the paneling, but holy shit, I'm so much faster now. And mm. they look better. Yeah. And that's like the one I did was very quick. And, uh, so in terms of, uh, this will be my tip, I think, um, is, Think very, 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 very hard about what color base spray you use hmm. because the correct choice is probably not what you think it is. And, um, basically whatever color you can choose that minimizes the amount of, um, detail work you need to do and maximizes the amount you can rely on washes, right? Uh, infinitely helps. And if you have to spend 15 pounds on the spray, that's probably worth it for the amount of time you'll save. Yeah. Well, obviously that's a judgment call in every case, but so the thing that might surprise people about my Zangor, given how they look is that they're base coated lead belcher, mm. even though their bodies are 80% skin and like, um, you know, feathers and fur and hooves and beaks and stuff. And the reason for that is because the time consuming part of painting a Zangor is, the gold trim, the metal paneling, the paneling, which is sort like a sort of turquoise lapis kind of thing mm. I'm doing it as metal now, but like metal with a kind of Chrome gradient done with shades. And then, uh, but also the fact that they're hanging with jewels and chains and, and things like that. So base coat, base coating a silver color, you still have to paint in all of the skin and all that stuff. And it's still, you know, a process, mm. but actually the draining part of it is the trim and things like that. um, uh, silver is a gold loves going over silver hmm. and in fact because i pre-shade and highlight and all of the silver before the gold goes on i don't have to do anything to the gold right i just apply a single thin because these are bulk models as well i just a thin coat of retributor armor over pre-shaded silver okay looks fine yeah uh, nice like doesn't require anything else that's a good tip um, and it's because it's the right base color and it mm. saves so much time because it means also I don't have to go over, you know, there's not one step that devoted to picking out chains, right? Like yeah, chains. Just and done. Like things that's just done. Mm. Like that happens by accident in the course of washing and initially shading and dry brushing the metal surfaces. Mm. So I, um, to make the process easier and more consistent, because I'm, this batch job, and it's 30, 30 of these is still going to take some time. And like, it's a still batch job. This process is quite meticulously planned out now. Uh, I know how I'm going to create, um, so like I did with the original Zangor, there is the shade I'm using and the highlights I'm using rotate. Okay. Uh, between each set of five. Hmm. So there is going to be, this sounds a bit mad, but this is how I'm going to create what the effect I want. Because so what I want is a kind of chromatic effect spread across the entire unit. Yeah. So um, the first five, the metal, uh, which is always going to be washed with Gilliman Blue first, is going to be washed with uh, purple after mm. that. Right. The next five will be washed with green after that. And purple will move to somewhere else in the model, and green will move to somewhere else in the mm. model. And that will rotate in then to a darker blue. And that and then the green and the purple will rotate elsewhere. And green, purple, and blue are my three Zinch kind of colors. Yeah. But they'll rotate between each set of th- five. And then each set of five will also rotate a base skin tone, which will also have those washes applied to it in a different combination. So it's like, there'll be, it sounds mad, but basically there's a plan and- that was all mapped out now and it's quite easy to follow step by step yeah but it requires being able to but it's doable because it relies heavily on washes and it's about what washes you use at what stage and it's, it's sort of all and i've done all that prep work now and kind of proved the theory and now i'm really confident about it whereas it proves it's really intimidating yeah and i think it would still be super intimidating even with that plan if i was still going off like a gray base coat and then having to lay out every color manually. Mm. because And initially, for a long time, I thought I was going to base coat blue to get the base color of the skin. Uh, but actually, that was ignoring the fact that, that was going for the base coat for the greatest surface area yeah. rather than the greatest complexity. So it's almost like you, the base coat you want to target, the problem you want to solve
1: the most rather yes. than actually do too much work for
0: Yeah, you. and even then, I think you've got to kind of think a bit because, like, so the problem I... The problem I have with Sangor miniatures is, is they're a horde unit with innate intensive, like gold filigree, which is like yeah, like there's a parallel universe where someone at Games Workshop decided that their rules should be there are five per five model unit of super strong individual warriors, and that person has the right idea of what to do <laughs> rather than a unit that gets a bonus for every nine in the Twice, unit. Yes, yeah, um, the mod meta. Yeah, um, and so. No, I was worried about gold, so I had uh, to a base coat gold. But actually, silver's better because mm. silver also means that the weapon's basically done. Suddenly, yeah, you don't that's have to think nice. about that so much. Um, that's really interesting because like, I, I had like idly thought
1: about um, base spraying stormcast with gold, but I actually don't trust gold spray. Uh, and maybe it's because I have found a good one. I've
0: used. I mean, I've used. I mean, all my thousand sons are base coated gold. So, yeah. so it does. It's good yeah. stuff. Then well so one thing i would say like i know people have different experiences of this but um i ha- I briefly went back to using uh an army painter spray recently because i needed to and the night and day quality difference with gw stuff was really pronounced oh really like i think maybe just it was maybe an older can or something but like uh i've been going through a, a quite a good rate uh kind of lead belcher spray from gw and it's just consistently good performance like looking after it and doing the right things and warming it up and shaking it properly and that yeah. kind of thing, but like particularly in the recent weather, like it has been consistently good and hasn't annihilated any models. Oh, good. and like the can of army painter white, I briefly experimented with for my support guard, almost killed a petitioner. Really, so, yeah, and it was like Would really so, it come out claggy? Like, just like it was like firing a like a spray, like a like a sprinkler at something. It was just oh, uh, like right, it's a spotty, spotty one. clumps. Yeah. It was like goose grim rubbish, and I, and that was looking after it in the same way I would look right, after yeah. any other can. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, my 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 tip is, like, all of my corn Blood Warriors are primed Blood Belcher as well. Um, huh. That's a good tip. Like, I th- it saves a lot of time, and you can do a lot of things with washes. Mm. Like, particularly when you're batch painting. Like, I wouldn't argue that you do this if you are painting a solo miniature, because it is a shortcut. But that's the point, right? Yeah, like, like, you know, the idea, like... Um, that coupled with a few other things I've learned, like when you're trying to speed paint something, skip a few highlight steps rather than go between each, each one. Right. Um, I think this is really clear on the Zango stuff I've done, where it's like my first wave of Zango meticulous blended highlights. And it's come up quite now looking at it a few years on, it looks kind of low contrast Mm. because I was too careful. Right. And like, uh, this lot of Zango, the skin, uh, is two coats of all from gray, Othangue. 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 Um uh washed with Gilliman Blue, mm. deep shaded with a rotating highlight a rotating shade colour Yeah. based on the scheme. Dry brushed with uh the fang.
1: That's no, hang on,
0: rust grey. Dry brushed blue rust grey light blue grey. Yeah. And then highlighted with pallid witch flesh. Hmm. And done. That's an interesting one And it looks quite good. Yeah. And the reason for pallid witch flesh is because it's a slightly cold grey. It's it's well it's pinkish okay and so it pulls it back towards skin tone slightly okay without uh, it, it sort of like a slight contrast with the blue but not quite and it sort of like it just looks right right mm. like i think the logical decision would have been go to back, either back to old gray yeah. or to a lighter blue mm. or to white but i went to palette witch flesh because it's ultimately like um it's also a color that doesn't exist anywhere else on the model so it yeah. helps to differentiate skin specifically um and that's i found very successful
1: like yeah it's an interesting question that is like when do you go cold with your tone and when do you go warm with it like that's the thing i'm still really figuring out because if you've got like a, a blue skin going on to white sorry blue washes going on to white you, you're you dealing in basically quite cold colors all the time and then to go to like a warm flesh color um because i mean it's, it's subtle but pallid
0: which is like a little bit on the warmer side isn't it's, it like, yes it's like it's like the it's the lightest Flesh tone, like yeah. sort of like well, well it's the lightest um, Caucasian flesh tone that mm. GW do, and um, it is just faintly
1: pinkish, basically. Right, yeah. Because I've been using like um, Radarth Flesh, lows and lows yeah, loads and loads of it, um, because it's it's a super nice paint, just not <laughs> in terms of like coverage and stuff. But it's also almost like has a slight bit, a bit of peach in there, like a it's almost yeah. like a peach tinted. Grey, kind of. <laughs> but, um, it's super flexible. And I've, I, what I've done often for my Sylvaneth is actually just mix that in to make colour look more organic and almost like brown it up and kind of get it into the like an organic yeah. colour spectrum. So, um, so for, uh, a lot of the Sylvaneth have like mushrooms growing on them. So rack off flesh with a bit of, uh, green, which is a, a light green, uh, you traditionally use it to highlight orc skin and stuff like that mixing those two together or a bit of Boss green creates like a, a very dull but very organic type of greeny brown that looks great as mushroom heads and they're, they're, that's a combination of two colours that you'd never necessarily expect to work together because they tend mm. to do very different the, the, the games workshop painting system kind of gives paints jobs to do yeah. On their models, if you know what I mean. The way that their paints are constructed is to do a certain thing on a certain type of skin. So there's, there's a set of greens that are basically orc skin. Um, and there's a set of things that are basically, you know, um, uh, beast man hide. And that's what they're all designed for. That's what they're named after. Um, but it's interesting when you start mixing them, you start breaking out Games workshops pre prescribed system and start going into interesting new places. Um, and it's interesting to note how the, you know even the way stuff is named in games workshop system games workshop system prejudices you against certain colors or yeah, yeah, all yeah. certain colors um so I, i've started realizing that i'm kind of locked into this way of thinking about paints that has been prescribed by games
0: workshop and actually by mixing their paints more i could actually break out of it and do I'm more interesting things. feeling guilty when i painted my little test model plague um sorry pox walker from the dark imperium corset because mm. the base purple i used was uh Hide. Right. It's like wrong chaos god. Like, <laughs> no, it's just purple. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so maybe the next year I'm looking forward to kind of breaking that out of that a little bit more. And I, and I don't say that to criticize the way games work to organize the paints because it's the perfect entry. Yes, that's the point. It's the right? perfect that you entry. Break level out that. Way. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. This is like a structure to get you into painting stuff and now, and then you experiment with a bit more part, Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, it's really, really interesting. I, I might actually. I might do some test models with various um different spray undercoats and see how washes
0: work on them. That's really I feel like I've, like, this month, I've really gotten kind of, like, comfortable knowing what color I want rather than what paint I should use, if that makes sense. Yeah. I like, to kind of, like, mix things up. So the other model I painted this month, uh and this was a complete whim. I don't know. I, now that I've done it, I don't really know where it came from. But, like, basically, I was excited about my importance. Hmm. And I just decided to paint the Dark Earth Chieftain from the Silver Tower box yeah. set. Yeah, um, I don't need him for a game. Um, he's a—it's a great model. Yeah, he's kind of barbarian warrior. Awesome model. Great facial expression. Um, painting that model helped me come up with some ideas for my AOS story stuff, hmm. Black Library stuff, even that I'm thinking about. Um, but a lot of that was like I sort of—it was a relatively quick model like three or four days mm. um, start to finish. And that's not like full time. That's just like, you know, sessions over those types of time. Um, just sort of leapt into it without like with a vague idea of what I wanted, but like came away super happy with the result and um, did, you know, sort of a lot more shade work. And actually a lot of that model is shade work, but mm. also really thinking about the shade work. And that's helped. How- like and how I blend them and sort of not wet blend, but like just mixes of colors and thinking a lot about temperature and mm. thinking a lot about, um, what colors I've already used elsewhere on the model and, um, just such a really enjoyable process for that reason. Like there's, um, and then stuff that I found that I've been able to apply elsewhere as well. Like, so his, um, you know, the method for doing skin that I've spoken about before and the pod i kind of used but also mixed with a lot of different kinds of washes so i did a better job i think of picking out like lips and eyes and that kind of thing by mixing in lots of purple and red right. to different washes um the the kind of recipe for bone i've been using forever is if there's ever a skull on something and this is warhammer so there is <laughs> it's always rack flesh washed with Seraphim sepia like that's okay. my that's my bone oh, recipe um, whereas with him, I went slightly off-piste, and it's rack flesh water with agrax earth shade, and then a mixture of agrax earth shade and null oil, mm. which is a lot cooler, because seraphim's yeah, yeah. is very orange, and That's agrax earth shade is much a cooler brown, so that kind of worked nicely. How did you arrive uh, at that bone formula? Because the
1: traditional um, I guessed. Yeah, the guest workshop one is sandry dust, uh, sandry dust, uh, agrax earth shade, then going up to like your
0: bone, then up to scream skull basically is how they do it um god that was actually from a tutorial like a youtube video for painting the original silver tower models ah. and that painter happened to do that combo interesting I just always done it that's that a lot simpler <laughs> than what yeah. i just described yeah cool um and it creates a very orange look yeah which is like kind of worked well across each stuff but i wanted something cooler because i was like these models have any orange on it if i add orange now this will clash and those are the kinds of thoughts that you start to have when you've been thinking about color for more, you know what I mean? A bit more Outside of the, the range. Yeah. A yeah. Um, in terms of specific stuff from that model, I'm pleased with. So like, there's two of it. One is that, um, one of the funniest things that I figured out doing it, and I had someone ask us on Instagram about it, but like, so I wanted, I knew I wanted to have war paint. Yeah. And I was really inspired by, even though the, the expression of the model, the attitude expressed by the model is very different to the tone of the video game. Um, I recently played and loved the game Hellblade. Um, which is about a kind of Celt warrior.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, That's a great looking game, isn't it? It's a great looking game. And I wanted to kind of nick the palette for Dark Oath characters. Yeah. Uh, including giving uh, my Dark Oath Chieftain kind of blue war paint. Because I also thought that would be an interesting Chaos Marauder color. Because yeah, you don't yeah. see that very often. And I had someone ask on, like, how do you do the war paint? And the answer is, I painted it. <laughs> like, yeah. so it turns out the way you paint paint mm. is paint. And this was actually a really interesting process because it's like, how do I make this look like paint? How do I make it look like he's painted his own face? Yeah, yeah. Because I I painted his. Face. I had this with the orcs as well. Definitely. So yeah. I, the way I ended up doing it is because I say I painted his face and like to like probably the highest standard I've ever painted a face. Mm. And then yeah, I was like, amazing. now I have to paint on his face. Yeah, ruin it all. Yeah, and so what I did was. Um, the first pass was like to sort of sketch out the design, but also to, um, I wanted it to look like, I didn't want it to be like neat face paint. I wanted it to look like he'd taken like a handful of blue, you know, pigment mm. and smeared it down his face in, in a pattern, but yeah. like approximately. Yeah. Uh, like I wanted it to look like he'd done it himself, right? Like mm. no one has done his makeup like before he goes on set. Right. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not how this works. Um, so the first go was. Uh, a mixture of the base skin tone which I've, is israkoff flesh actually hmm. and uh and dark reaper and then so quite you know kind of faint and then sort of outline it hmm. and then just build up the dark reaper and there's no highlighting it's just dark reaper because yeah. it would the pigment he used would only have one tone it's not reflective yeah um and then build it up Until it's kind of like thin lines of the heaviest part of the pigment. And then doing a thing that Games Workshop's Duncan Rhodes would not approve of, Mm. which is not thinning it at all. Yeah. And just dobbing it on. Like, I say dobbing it on. I mean, dobbing it on as much as you can dob something on with a artificer brush very carefully. Yes. But basically deliberately creating process patches where it's like genuinely too thick, where if you were painting a model's actual skin, Mm. you'd have busted it. Cause the paint sticks and pulls and bumps off the surface. Sure, it creates a texture. Mm. But that creates a texture that like, like it's actually painted onto his yeah, face. Yeah, Cause it's, it sounds dumb, but like mm. the way to make it look like he's painted his own face is to put too thick paint on his face. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's worked fantastically well. It's
1: given me some ideas as well in terms of, <coughs> um, I've been using some weathering paints, which are like technical paints in Games Workshop yeah, yeah. range. Um, and there's one called, Oh God, what's it called? Typhus Typhus corrosion corrosion. Yeah. yeah. Which is very interesting stuff. It's like a, it's a halfway, it's a gritty wash basically. And now I'm thinking, could I tint that to different colors and create a textured dry on effect, like similar to what you're describing? But it, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting, you know, like, it, yeah, that's an interesting applications for that
0: type of effect, aren't there? Yeah. Like that's the magic of wet palettes as well. As yeah. Just it stays, it and stays so what's down. interesting is actually like, um, as I think I mentioned earlier, like, Speed painting those blood warriors overnight yesterday and this morning. Uh, two of them have bare heads. Mm. And so I had to kind of apply some of this theory really quickly. And in a circumstance where I'm not painting one hero model, like doing it super fast. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty pleased with their faces. And one of the reasons for that is just shade stuff. Um, and so that was like a real quick, um, it's like their faces are shaded you create like a pool of, um, right on flash shade, mm. then mix in a bit of purple and do eyelids mm. because it helps to kind of sink them in make them more pronounced. Then mix in caraberg crimson and do scar tissue and lips mm. and then mix in a bit of null oil and do the entire bottom half of their faces. Mm. And suddenly they have kind of five o'clock shadow oh, well. and you've it, then highlight with the base skin tone and then, the base skin tone plus something lighter. Yeah. And done.
1: Job done. Yeah. <laughs> there's, um, some interesting, uh, there's an interesting post on the Warhammer community site. A guy who paints purely in washes, like he undercoats in It was white. Like the Tyler Mengel thing about. Oh yeah. That's yeah. Right. It was. Yeah. 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 yeah really the- interesting how, how flexible washes are and how, uh, you know, lots of interesting ways to use them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, you know, I think it's such an adaptable thing because mm. like, I think maybe if you're going for golden demon, don't rely on washes. Hmm. But anything short of that, like, the correct subtle use of washes can do loads for you. Basically. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. So that's, um. Top tips. Yeah. I think that's, that's me hobby wise. What have you been up to of playing? So I haven't done a huge amount of playing over Christmas because been out and about.
1: Um, we played a bit of chase bar. In the store, Chris, uh, we actually went yeah. to our local Games Workshop store one lunchtime and did some shows by, that was rad. Uh, it was really cool. We played some water today, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, in terms of like gaming, it's, rather than playing, I've been signing up for stuff. So uh, me and my friendship are going to go and do the doubles tournament at Warhammer World towards the end of March. Hmm. Uh, the big AOS doubles tournament, it sold out in like a couple of hours, something like that. Like It's going to be fully subscribed. Um, It's slightly terrifying because I'm expecting all the big gamers in the community to go because it's like such a fun event and it's such a crazy event because the 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 way they they the rules so that you can you take a thousand points each on a team uh, but they don't have to be of the same Grand Alliance at all like you so we could go with Stormcast and Death. Um, and that means like a lot of rules cross over between those two forces that wouldn't ordinarily cross over. And there's a lot more kind of cross pollination between r- war scrolls that you wouldn't normally see in match play, uh, which means there's going to be some gross stuff there in terms of like just filthy rules, tricks and, 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 yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm, we're going in like totally open to that and just kind of expecting to get rolled (laughs) (laughs) by people who are very good at you know who have an an immense knowledge of all the war scrolls and know how to exploit that stuff but at the same time it's going to be interesting just to see how a tournament operates and it feels like a bit more of a low pressure tournament if you've got a a mate next to you and you can actually just enjoy the game and even if you're getting destroyed you can still just kind of make a fun time of it and make it fun for your opponents as well um and it felt like the double tournament was a good intro- introduction to the the tournament scene and actually like as soon as we signed up for it we've just been talking almost every day about like list ideas and stuff and actually having that goal on the horizon has made the game way more exciting for me in terms of actually learning war scrolls and learning what armies do and actually getting into the whole gaming side of things like I, we're not expected to win it we want to put in a good showing you know what i mean and so mm. there's that that little impetus just like suddenly makes the game seem more interesting um so i i'd recommend signing up for a tournament just for that just for the excitement yeah. of planning it and having that on the horizon and means and also i like get to go to one world for the first time and see all their displays and all that kind of stuff and um, so yeah and also plan to sign up for chase by tournaments and and that this year as well because i've been enjoying the game so much and it's such a good quick competitive game. Mm. um with less room for the kind of rules wrinkles that you might get in a war game. Um, so yeah, I'm really, really
0: forward to taking that on in a competitive environment. So yeah. Um, Red, Like I've got, I, I just signed up for the, um, London GT, mm. which is a big AOS event. so sounds like it's going to be amazing. Oh yeah, at yeah. The Olympic stadium. Oh, shit, kind of really? yeah. And they're doing a thing where, um, for the AOS stuff, they've got a bunch of custom rules and things. But also they are building all of the themed train boards mm. so that Based on your where you end up in the Swiss, you end up in a different realm. Oh, that's awesome. So the top eight tables are in Azir, mm. and then the next eight tables oh, are in Nice. Actually, and then the next eight tables after that are in Gur, and then so on. That's a great idea. So if you're in Olgu, I think you <laughs> you, you <should> suck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, right, it's a really nice idea. So I'm really looking forward to that, and that's awesome. That'd be really exciting. That's in May, mm. and so that's actually my kind of informal deadline for all this Sangor stuff. Yeah, like I would have bring Seancht Mortals to that. She gets some. Uh... Get some Skyfires in there. Oh, I will. They're on <laughs> the, they're sky- the, they're in, the box after the Zango. Yeah, thing. you should. Absolutely. Six of them are coming. Mm, lovely. Get ready to maybe me don't lose lots of games
1: <laughs> Sigma, maybe. Yeah, you've, you managed to go quite far with Zeench without taking their best units. <laughs> <laughs> so if you actually start taking their best units, your fortunes might change. Uh,
0: maybe. Um, so that's coming up. Um, I'm, yeah, and I'm going to the, um, Ages, uh, they're going to the Shade Spire, Grand Clash, in March yeah. at Warhammer World. So yeah, right. I'll be up there a little bit before you, you are for the doubles thing. Mm. Um, I guess we start talking about Shadespire, maybe League is what we played today, but obviously my big Shadespire experience this month was playing in uh, Bristol's first monthly uh, Shadespire event. Hooray. Hooray. Um, at big, wasn't it? At big. Yeah. Bristol Independent Gaming, which is where I play a lot of x Um and, and I won. Hooray. I won it, Tom. Nice. against six people so this is the thing this is an interesting thing so about one thing you know we were talking about this earlier when we were playing but a question at the moment is like how big is chase bargaining yeah like, how well is it doing and i think it's i think it's doing pretty well like it's certainly like no other thing games Workshop have done has been in, has been enthusiastically brought up in conversation by non-miniatures playing friends mm. right like you know, we've played it with our friends Alex Wiltshire and Tom yeah, Francis, right? That's like, yeah. that's beyond the pale for any of this stuff. Yeah. Um, Some think that uh there are two things that I think um initially, and initially the attendance for this event in Bristol was, was supposed to be about 12 or 13, which is pretty good, mm-hmm. I think, for a game at the very start of its life. You know, X-Wing reliably gets like 20, 22. So okay. getting yeah. more than half of that would be great. Um Two things, I think, held it back. One is that the day of the tournament, it was pissing it down mm-hmm. like it was horrible outside and i think that and then a bunch of people canceled basically saying like oh, i can't i don't want to yeah basically um which is always the case with events that aren't prepaid basically mm-hmm. um the other side of it was that um games workshop were initially supposed to send out prize support for tournaments in january and it's been delayed to february right so i think there's a I think Shadespire at the moment is in a bit of a weird place. I think it's it's doing well. It's a great game, mm. but game came out two weeks later. Two more warbands came out. Yeah. There was almost more Shadespire than you could handle. Mm. There was more stuff to play with than you could get games. Right? Sure. Um, if they had launched the first round of, like, prize-supported tournaments two weeks after that, mm. you'd have been off to the fucking races because people were begging to play. However, then a month passed and nothing really happened. They released dice and card sleeves. Then another month passed and the prize support that was supposed to come out didn't. Mm. And so I think they have hit a – I think they stalled when they didn't need to, if that makes sense. I mean, obviously, there's always production reasons or something like that.
1: I think it's also – it's the Christmas period, like getting people out to tournaments when they're in the – X big over Christmas Why like it's kind of people well?
0: are like deep more happy they're getting home you know what I mean they're kind of like yeah, work okay. winding down like, yeah fair enough yeah like I don't think there's ever a bad time for it really mm-hmm. like I think it's just a momentum thing okay because the launch had so much momentum yeah, right? yeah. like weirdly I think it would have been better for the game given this if the sepulchral garden orcs hadn't come out until beginning of January because mm. no one would have minded initially games yeah. came out right yeah we're, we're still learning it with stormcast and corn yeah Oh, and then new warbands in January. Like, that would have picked it up again. But it's almost like it all came out so quickly. There was a big surge of enthusiasm. Mm. And then by the time we got to late January, when these first tournaments are happening, basically nothing has happened. The game's been out for three months, but nothing has happened for two. Yeah. If that makes sense? Yeah. And I think it will kick off again in February because suddenly the prizes will arrive mm. and there'll be a new wave yeah, of yeah. expansion. So I think it will get exp- good again. Um, I'm not going to go mega deep on that event, but what was super interesting, actually because there's a little tie into the games we played and we can get on to kind of what we've been up to today, mm. um, is what I found super interesting is that, so um, I went to the event with my corn that I've been playing a lot relatively successfully. Um, I feel like I understand my deck and so on. And I didn't really know what I was going to face, um, but I was the only corn. So the, of the six people who made it in the end, um, there were, uh, three Stormcast, two Orcs and me. Mm. Uh, no, support, no Skeletons at all. Mm. Um, and, uh, all three Stormcast decks were very similar, yeah. very defensive. And one of the Orcs was aggressive and one of the Orcs was very, very, very defensive. Mm. And, What I thought was interesting is that, like, so this morning I watched the, I think, as did you, the grand final of the Shadespire Grand Clash at the Las Vegas Open. So the first big Shadespire event in North America. And the, obviously, far greater scale. So hundreds of players rather than six. Yeah. But by what they were saying about what was popular the meta broke down exactly that way yeah interesting but what's interesting is none of those things that were popular won Mm. and like uh corn bloodbound by far the least popular faction but overrepresented proportionally in the top of the thing yeah it's like a high skill warband that does very well when used correctly i think there's i think i think it's part of that i think it's partly that corn has uh the capacity to score a lot of points yeah in lots of different ways um other like it tends to be the shades by balance in a few different ways but one of them is that warbands are more forgiving earn less points yeah so you you put yourself at less risk for less reward mm. um which means that you might win games but you might not be picking up big points over time yep whereas at court you can bomb out completely but if you don't then the rewards are pretty big mm. um what i find really interesting is that like um there's definitely like a super passive style of play that people gravitate towards because I think people get quite like, orcs are super, orcs are far and away the most popular faction, Hmm. even though they don't come in the core set. I was surprised by that. Yeah. I was very surprised because
1: also they're sort of one note, like they go around killing stuff and they get points for
0: just being orcs. Like that's their objective. They're tremendously forgiving. Right. Like I think that's it. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Like um, they have, they have huge weaknesses, but their two weaknesses are things that, most players don't worry about straight away, so the two weaknesses are they're very slow mm. most players don't worry you know you're not you're not when you first start playing or when you're getting used to it you're not at the counting hexes stage of planning, yeah the other side of it is the big weakness is that two of them hacker and basher, don't really do any damage, yeah, but initially you're happy if you're not dying <laughs> right, so you'll probably take a big health pool mm. over a big damage number they are tough. like you know uh. Uh, sayek on the in the corn team does loads of damage but he has three health mm. so most people probably early impression of him is that like oh he sounds oh he's gone <laughs> yeah fair. you know what i mean so people get used to the fact i think that the orcs of the stormcast have that kind of like i could walk in mm. i didn't die immediately whereas with you know with guard or with corn it's like i'm in the wrong place it can go the wrong. game's over now it could go wrong real fast with uh i i speaking of skeletons
1: only it could yeah. go wrong really fast yeah uh, and it sometimes, it uh, sometimes yeah yeah uh, yeah um it's tricky to play with i love uh corn because they're they're fast but there are enough of them to do objective capture and yeah. for me that's where they get loads of stealth points is by actually bashing
0: people off points yeah and like i you know i think i've kind of really worked my place on not to say that i don't say so the, the reason i because we ended up with a truncated player pool the way we kind of calculated a winner is we played three rounds mm. and at the end of the three rounds i was the only person who hadn't lost a set so yeah fair enough that was kind of like yeah that's, that's how that what a winner looks like yeah. <laughs> um but they were, it was a really interesting series of games because initially I had to contend with hyper-defensive play. Mm-hmm. Like running away, avoiding combat as orcs. That's Just really surprising. In order to sit on objectives. Okay. And initially, you know, the first game we played uh, was like 40 minutes long and ended five to three in the other guy's favor. Yeah. But then once I knew that... Because so, I and the reason it was so slow was because I'd kind of deployed against orcs I know to deploy defensively with Korn well corn. yeah because I normally rush you because I don't want that first turn charge that kills yeah. somebody with Gerzag, right? I just don't want that to happen so and then when I realised that like I was far away and he was running away it's like even as Korn I couldn't catch him yeah yeah because with an orc, you never just want to catch an orc. You need to catch an orc with three people. Yeah. Because that's how they have four or five health. Like you have to- and They inspire as soon as they take damage. So you so can't like, injure it one. It has to be like a plan. It's like, right. you know, after the first blow lands that takes that first wound off, the next one should combo into the kill, right? Like that's- yeah. You don't send people after them one by one. Mm. So setting up a proper orc kill box when they're running away yeah. takes about 40 minutes and no one scores any points. Mm. And it ended five to three to them next game once i knew their playstyle and their deck yeah to play forward to played forward and i ended up winning that one like 16 to th- 3 mm. or something like that cuz it was just like yep yeah, well kind of got this like um and that was really interesting and then the one after that was against stormcast who played aggressively um but like kind of into my hand a bit because right. they uh set up a long board oh, okay in order to kind of, find, which kind of makes sense. But um, I found that, like, as corn, and I think this would probably be true of as well, cards like Confusion mm. that allow you to swap characters, um, like a strategy that I've started to work on, particularly when you're in that situation where they're being aggressive. This mm. is basically the only way to beat orcs I've found, the only way to beat aggressive orcs with corn, because that's a really hard matchup. Right. Because they get in your face, and so there's too many of them. Yeah, and you get, it's very hard to kill them with corn as well. Is to um, so this this applied in my in the Stormcast matchup, but also in the, the my final game, which was the aggressive orc matchup. Is you basically like if you imagine creating like a kind of you know semi like a triangle of dudes, mm. where the guy at the front is the guy in contact with the enemy. The goal is to find confusion as fast as possible, or any of the other shoving and pushing and swapping abilities. And you basically have to take someone from their formation and swap them into your formation, even if it's it weirdly putting one of your guys in their lineup. Yeah. And you almost have to like absorb and eat the orcs, like separate them from their allies. Yeah. But also trap them so they can't run because they're so slow. They can't run. You know, the obstacles then become your guys. Mm. So it's a lot about kind of like trying to pull people into your formation and kind of process them. And then in my final game, I'm going through them quickly because we've got a lot of pod to get through still, and there's obviously been a long one already, but um in the final game it was really interesting because the first game uh, against a player who uh takes the game pretty seriously and built an orc deck to win. Yeah. Um first game was pretty one sided towards me hmm. off um I mean like the kind of things that happen in Shadespire. So like uh, a good uh card hand gave me a bunch of initial upgrades. Uh, I scored supremacy, which is three upgrades straight, with three, uh, objectives straight away. Yes, God. Which is three points, which is like the corn golden <laughs> kind of initial power spike where it's like, okay, I've got three upgrades now. Yeah. Now we can do stuff and manage to, uh, isolate and kill bone cutter, who's the, uh, orc with the double-ended axe. You can yeah. ultimately get the AoE ability with him gone. Um, you just ignore Gerzag. He's too good at fighting. Run away. Mm. Like, don't kill him. Don't f- kill him. Don't touch him. Yeah. You don't know him to inspire. you'll People lay a soul trap and unkillable and plus one wound on him because mm. they don't want you to kill him. And the only thing you can do is not touch him. Yeah. Just Korn doesn't care about that one. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, And um, that game went perfectly. And then the second game it was really interesting. Basically the same setup kind of went the same way. And then, and this is not a, like, a, th- a thing. I don't feel bad about this because it ultimately won, won the set. But, like, um, it was an amazing case of my dice completely abandoning me. It was the same game, but I only rolled two successful attacks in the entire game. And my opponent was just in- gobsmacked right. by how <laughs> yeah. kind of mad it was. You got anything about it, yeah. Yeah, and it was, like, he took, like, one massive risk. Like, a huge risk, which is, um, and I think it must have been calculated because it was it, was, it, it paid off big, but it's like kind of nuts that he even tried it, which is mm. that he had an Orc uh, basher, I think, one of the ones that only does one damage, Yeah, who was in base contact with one of my chumps. And he gave it Demonic Weapon. Demonic Weapon, you can take a damage mm. in order to do a three damage attack, which allows that Orc to run off and bash any of my dudes. It inspires him as well, I guess inspires him when he triggers the attack yeah and he does three damage which is enough to kill any corn guy except uh garrick Hmm. however the huge risk of doing this is he played that card before my turn okay so all i have to do then is run up to him and hit him with sayak because he's got a guy next to him so i get an assisted attack if i do three damage to him that reduces him to one health Hmm. so he can't ever used yes, a demonic weapon he wasted the point mm. and I've already got a guy next to him so it's it's assisted
1: it's by right? chance yeah
0: and um that was the first successful attack I'd rolled in the game and then he rolled a critical defense against it which <laughs> so is <just> like <laughs> Damn. and then he ran off and killed Carsus. Mm. and it was just like one of those swing moments where it's just like can't do anything about this mm. and in the game after that I just deployed completely differently approached it completely differently sacrificed mm. Saek straight away which is kind of nuts about against orcs yeah but find a completely new way of beating them, which is running past them mm. into their territory and then just running around in their territory. Because once they have to turn around, they really don't want to do that because yeah. they just have to start running and they get split up in a weird way. Mm. And I ended up coming away with it with a much better sense of like, sorry, this is a bit of a kind of rambly. I didn't want to kind of totally recap the whole thing, but like I kind of came away with it in the sense that like there's a a metagame developing around big chunky Uh, war bands with the super durable that put a lot of emphasis on particularly those on healing potions and soul trap and and unkillable and all this stuff that lets you roll a dice to negate damage and all this stuff so that you can plow into your into your opponent and come out on top on average Hmm. on a trade and that seems to be a meta that happens in a because literally like the guys there is there's a group of guys who practice a lot with each other And none of them have, no one plays corn Like, no one plays corn. I think it's probably, like, it's not me being great or anything. It's probably down to the fact that people underestimate, like. Experience, yeah. Yeah, like, because people assume they're bad, I think, because people crack open the core set for the first time and Stormcast are much more forgiving initially, Mm. I think. I think.
2: Mm.
0: I think Stormcast aren't as forgiving as Orcs are. Yeah. But that's primarily because you've got another four health body.
1: It's interesting watching the um, the conclusion of the LVO tournament, though, because that was actually a hyper-aggressive Stormcast uh, team that ended up winning. Um, and they came up against focal Guard in the final round, and uh, the guard got smashed pretty much because they never kind of got going, which is a big problem I always have with the Skeleton deck. Uh, but it was interesting that um, even Stormcast... Like the most successful Stormcast and you just charge into enemy territory and you need to actually start getting kills and start taking heads kind of a corn like way of playing really and you know um, the Stormcast you can build a Stormcast deck that just sits in their own territory and just earns a few points maybe maximum 10 or something. Yeah, you won't uh, get much. D- yeah, it's just uh, you earn a few glory, but the way you actually win tournaments and win stuff is to actually kill everything. Yeah, and, and to cash in the enemy territory. Yeah,
0: yeah, and contain. Like, containment and denial are two of the most important objective cards. So they're like three glory, aren't each. they? each Massive. Yeah. yeah, and they combo together, so that's often like free. It's quite easy to score a corn if your opponent is playing defensively. Yeah. And it's often six. Glory at the end of the game, mm. which is more than you could possibly get from objectives. Absolutely, awesome, yeah. yeah. So, like, yeah, it's it's. I think that playstyle will fade. So, there has been quite an in-depth kind of Shades by Tactics thing. But it's like this is one of the reasons I find the game super interesting is mm. because that kind of meta is like it's built so much more on player assumption than on actually the facts of the yeah. game. Yeah. And like, and well, I mean, so that that LVO final was interesting because, like, the first one, the I think the um, the, uh, the skeleton player was the first round the skeleton player was probably not expecting aggressive stormcast, which is reasonable yeah. because there's so much defensive stormcast going around. So yeah. you're completely taken aback by it. The second one, the stormcast dice were completely insane. Yeah, yeah, that is true. And that was a little bit insulting, given it's the grand final and you're one up in a best of two. Mm-hmm. Like if all the time for your dice to go mental when you're already one up, yeah, it's probably
1: not the justice. Yeah, the skeletons could not roll a defense dice as well like it and, was yeah it was and it's very like very there's fun. like a double critical defense for like a where he almost gets the almost gets one kill right yeah yeah, yeah. it's like yeah th- it was it, it was interesting to watch it maybe really want to watch more and i hope that they broadcast more yeah the they tend to just broadcast finals it yeah is. i'd like to see more because like um the guard looked terrible because like, <laughs> the trouble is when the guard crumble they really go like they, and, yeah <laughs> like open <skeletons>, right? <laughs> um and i really wanted to see how that Warband performed and it was doing well, because obviously it reached the final. They'd gotten loads of glory throughout the entire tournament. They'd won loads of games with that, the Spokal Guard, um, team and that deck. Um, so I'd love to have seen more of those games. Yeah. Um, we should talk a little bit about the games we played hmm. tonight.
0: Yeah. I I love Shades boy Yeah. So weirdly dramatic, like, and quick. We had, um, so. Yeah, cause we've also got like a little quick battle report to get to as well. So mm. maybe just for some of the highlights, because we played two matches, Korn versus Guard. Yes. And, um, first one was really interesting game, really interesting, mm. like a real learning experience for me. Cause I made like, um, uh, it's like, it was a good win for you. It was close, but like was a, close. Good win,
1: a good win for you. That's and- basically the only way I get victories is through close, uh, Games where my opponent doesn't get the objectives they kind of need to get rolling. Mm. <laughs> so I, uh, there's, I, I came away with loads of ways, thoughts about my deck and how it doesn't function very well, but yeah, it was an interesting game.
0: I think, um, like I made some bad trades early yeah. on, but also it's, it's quite a tempo dependent matchup, which is the second game <laughs> <it tests. laughs> definitely, um, yeah. like corn, my favorite games of chase bar are ultimately the ones where it's a soup. It's a knife fight to the end. And mm-hmm. like the one we played at GW the other week was yeah. like that. Definitely, like yeah. the last Matt Marimili matters. Corn's favorite games are the ones where you get. Well, I'll put it this way: like for me, a kind of a perfect round one is a four-point first round. Yeah. And that means usually scoring supremacy mm. and either getting a kill yep. or having the, one of the numbered objective cards mm. for one of the, one of the things I happen to already be standing on in order to score the supremacy yeah, objective, nice. which is holding three objectives. So you get three objectives and one of them happens to be a card you also have. So four points. Yeah. And that's a healthy slate of upgrades for the next turn. Mm. In the first turn of our last, oh no, our second game, <laughs> I got eight points in the first turn, which is more than I've ever scored. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I I I felt I don't feel bad cuz it was magic. It, it was too beautiful to uh, to for anyone to feel bad. So about. I put a card in my deck. It was a change I made before the tournament because mm. I I realized I had nothing in my deck that was specifically designed for other corn. I wasn't really talking about thinking about skeletons at the time. Yeah. I was thinking about other corn. And so every time I swap out a card I play a bunch and then I you know make another change. Yeah. And so the card I sw- I can't remember what I swapped out. What I swapped it, no, what I swapped out was Final Blow, mm. which is the card. I think we talked about when we did the Chains by special. It's the one that allows if you kill a corn character, but there's another one standing next to you, he shanks you in the ribs yeah. for one damage. Mm. That card's very good against orcs and stormcast because it's auto damage mm. and they don't get to roll defense, so that's good. Yeah. Um, I swapped it out for Mighty Swing. Yeah, which is a ploy that means the next attack active action action uh, hits every adjacent model. And I put that in in the hopes of one day enacting a strategy that I silently called to myself the Sake Bomb. <laughs> um, because, uh, Blooded Sake has a accurate three damage double handed axe. And my thought was against Bloodbound or against skeletons, hypothetically a turn one charge where you hit and kill three people with an AoE mega axe. That'd be game. Is possible. Yeah. And that would be a beautiful dream. It'll never actually happen. Mm. But then I had it in my first hand in this second game. And then I won the roll off. So I gave you the first turn. Yeah. And you move some skeletons forward. Just put, but some- because you fill yeah. all the available space because you have every deployment pattern. Yes. Yeah. I just, no there, was, there was just like a pocket where mm-hmm. Sake could be, it was exactly four movement spaces from where he is. And that's his movement value. Mm. And it would surround him with three skeletons. And that's, that's the maximum I could really hope to hit. And so I just kind of like – Shadespire is very rarely a game but pure atmosphere for me, but I had this image of like, mm. I don't know, the mirror and city turns and two new warbands find each other facing across the battlefield. And Sake just sees skulls. <laughs> skulls. They're walking around. They're chattering. They're talking. They're mm. smiling. But they're skulls. Mm. And so I put on – um I realized the irony of this after the fact. I put on – um I thought Sake was going to die for this. Um, So I put on Aerosmith's Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Yeah. But guess what? He didn't miss a thing. He hit all the things. I rolled a hammer and a crit three times in a row. Yeah. Which I don't deserve. (laughs) It was hilarious, though. And every time it kind of hit with another part of the crescendo of Aerosmith's Armageddon classic. Yeah. so what died a petitioner died I think the a petitioner the prince of dust and the harvester, harvester were all died. killed there. they were in, all this is my first died. activation of the game yeah. and he just spins around as Steve Tyler kicks into gear <laughs> and he spins and because I killed three things in one blow mm. that inspires the entire corn warband it's, it's one of the first times I've ever inspired the entire warband without one of my own people being dead yeah, it's very hard and the through truth through. is it was inspiring yeah. there was this moment it was like they were all clapping mm. like yes Bravo. <laughs> it's like
1: a giant golf swing just, just kind of <laughs> like, yeah. you just rotating tornado it just lops three goals off I just, it, it just
0: felt like a slow-mo moment yeah, yeah. To me. It, it was it was it was, I, was his it finest hour, hour. Like, I was just like well <laughs> and the dumb thing is in my territory we're objectives one four and five right yeah I had to mulligan for my, I mulliganed my first objective hand because I didn't think I was going to score any of it. Mm. And my second one was supremacy four and five. Yeah. So I mean, then at the end of the turn, <laughs> so Sake survived that turn by some miracle. And I spent my, the rest of my three activations just putting my dudes on those objectives. Mm. And then at the end of the turn, I was like, and I'll also have these five. Yeah. <laughs> so, it doesn't get better, does it? It's like, no, it's like, it is, it's this corn's well, paradise. And then the funny thing, the, and this was like just the moment, like it was perfect draws for me. Like I'm never gonna like, um, um my deck was uninspiring for the rest of the game because I'd gotten every card I could ever yeah, want. It just happens though. Um, at that point. But yeah, then I uh, drew a fighter, which meant that the mm-hmm. first activation of the second turn, Saik then charges the spulchral warden hits him for three damage and and then reveals that he was a dream the entire time (laughs) and leaves it just vanishes respawns back in your in my territory and i reset my entire army who Mm. now all inspired
1: yeah (laughs) it was uh, unbelievable
0: (laughs) (laughs) it was like i mean damn i mean you can't hope
1: for a better start in a a shades bar game than that it was pretty amazing we played it through but it was like we we did yeah i mean i i got like two or three it, glory or 17 or something. to it,
0: two in the end but it, the amount of time it took me to resurrect my mates because <laughs> yeah. it really puts you off tempo because even really the resurrection does. is great it's like yeah you, you you're now you have like a he's got like a backlog of
1: necromancy he now needs to that's do. that's right yeah and if it had been petitioners i could have ignored it but it wasn't it was the harvester and uh the prince of duster actually i need them to do things so you have to bring them back that's two activations i didn't draw the card that lets me just you know um Resurrect a guy on, in the card phase. Uh, I really wanted that and that didn't appear. So at that point, you're just so slow. It's such a slow war band. And if you set back in the early phase, the skeletons are pretty boned, so to speak. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Uh, But it was, it was interesting. Like, um, (laughs) we have a habit of like running out of time and not playing the third
0: deciders to these games So yeah. next time maybe we should do that we should yeah we way should to. see it because that's never happening to me again yeah like yeah. that is that was exactly the thing people wanted to see happen in the second game of the lvo grand final right mm. where you see the skeletons just make a heroic comeback based on pure fucking bravado yeah like yeah. there was not i didn't really deserve that but it was like um I mean, apart from the possible dice magic of playing a song called don't want to miss a thing yeah while not missing for three really see anything <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly um uh which is definitely not what happened at the start of the other game we played today no so this month's battle report will be about the latest uh episode in our ongoing skirmish adventure yeah um, I armies mean, keep getting slightly larger yeah indeed and as they've gotten slightly larger they're kind of more suitable for like a proper like blow by blow because it's sort of interesting things not like mega quick mega hmm. extensive but like there's a nice little rivalry forming between these forces yeah so we're up to well for this game we are up to 44 points each you chose to add uh two more wanderers glade mm, guard yes and a bunch more spiked revenants
1: yeah so my entire unit of Five spike references I paced up over the week last weekend. I, mean, it's, I was going to put a off Hunter in, but I decided to throw these guys in instead because they're fully painted
0: and I wanted to see what they would do. And I took—I thought I was going to add a blood—a uh, skull crusher, the mounted corn guy, but mm. I ended up just adding three more blood warriors because it neatly fit the amount of points I gained. Yeah, lovely. Um, so, yeah, my my thoughts were kind of like just basically blood reavers, blood warriors, and a slaughter priest. Yeah. So very little range apart from the magic on the slaughter priest. Uh, very fighty, but this is a really interesting scenario uh because you won the previous scenario, which was treasure hunt, yes, uh we had to play uh well, you always play this, but it affects the roles we play fragile cargo mm. where you deploy in a kind of like a column stretching out towards the middle of the map, and you have to deploy one model right in the middle of that column um who is carrying cargo, and because they're carrying cargo, they can't run or charge, yeah. And their goal is basically to reach my board edge and escape. And I got to stop you. Like, Mm. there's more to it, but that's probably the bash tax kind of version of it. Yeah. And we set out a board with, uh, like, a fallen tower. Like, we use basically, like, my chaos tower on its side. That's a super good way to use that kit. I've never seen that done before, actually.
1: Yeah, it worked really nicely. It's really nice, yeah.
0: It's uh, Basically, it was me thinking about it, thinking, how do I get more... Train out of this thing mm. also why did i bother painting all the skulls on the inside <laughs>
1: yeah and they are beautifully revealed to the world yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was cool actually it kind of cut the battlefield in half as well in an, in an interesting way i think
0: yeah so we ended up we ended up putting a piece of rubble in the middle between the two halves of the broken tower to kind of as if it had fallen over yeah um, and this became a very important piece of train uh, because on this piece of terrain we rolled the deadly number four which means that it's crumbling. And if you remember our previous reports from the it's by a campaign uh sorry, I say by a campaign, our Skirmish campaign. Hmm. Uh if you if you run or charge across crumbling terrain, uh if you roll a uh one, then the terrain goes away but so do you you've you fallen yeah. out of a very deep hole this happened to the first guy who did anything yes of mine in the very was, first skirmish game. he was frightened by
1: some dryads and then ran Felt into that a hole, hole. yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, I, I enjoyed this train placement because um I think one of the segments of the tower was arcane and the other one was something else it's inspiring that, that, that inspiring so um it's like we cracked open this tower and in the middle there was this like, deadly pit deadly bit like a kind of satanic cream egg where <laughs> <laughs> the sugary goo inside was actually murderous uh and yeah, yeah it was a good train so
0: what was your um, like so and also you had slightly disadvantage. you get to pick who takes the first turn but you had to deploy you had to fully deploy and then I had to fully deploy yes so, yeah. so you suppose, could see everything I've got before yeah right? so you had um, basically we
1: played a game of like Blood Bowl it was a lot like Blood Bowl it was a very American football type scenario you built a cage I built a cage so my um um I chose a dryad to carry the artifact because dryads have seven seven inch move they're the fastest thing the warband um the guy the person carrying the artifact can't run so they're they're limited to that um but i built a cage of uh spy revenants around them i put another dryad there as well and initially the uh uh the leader of my warband was branch there well. the branch which was there um but i deployed my four wanderers really high up in fact on the dangerous terrain pretty much um I think they moved onto it in the very first turn, actually. Yeah, yeah. so so they were slightly behind it. But the, their job was to move up and get within their the eighteen inch range for their bows and start actually picking things off fairly early. And that's how I, that's pretty much how I deployed. I think. Yeah,
0: I decided to because I didn't know which way around the train you are going to run. Yeah, you had to basically like I suspected you weren't going to try and fit everyone through the gap in the middle because no. you also wouldn't want to run over it.
1: The choke point for. A whole, a massive close combat corn force is just going to fill up that choke point. Like, yeah, so it's,
0: it's one way or the other. I think. If you go for that, I'm going to fill it up. basically precisely. Precisely. So I, I basically deployed mostly over to one side, mm. knowing that my guys are pretty fast. Yeah, and that I can sprint to the other side if you choose to go the other way. Yeah, and that because of the six round timer, you have limited amount of space to change your mind. Definitely. Like, it'll be more about which way you break around the obstacles mm. rather than which obstacle you choose to go around, if that makes sense. Yeah, the, the train played a massive part in this game. It was nice, isn't really it? It's like, it? I think yeah. it's good having terrain because it's like, it would have been a very different scenario if it had been completely open. Yeah. It probably would have been dicier because it would have turned into...
1: Yeah, who, who makes saves. You know
0: yeah. That? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, um, so... Um on this first uh so your first turn, yeah, it was mostly just like breaking you broke uh to my left, your right, mm. um, towards the kind of uh base of the tower. And uh but obviously not much else happened because one thing common to both of us in the start of the game was very cold dice. <laughs> so your <laughs> yeah. archers did nothing. Absolutely, at all. absolutely. Um and also, I was very careful not to give you Blood reavers to shoot at, because mm. Blood Warriors have two wounds. I was like, you're probably not going to take them out. And I made sure my revers at the start were out a range or behind. Yeah, they very easily beat off by shooting, aren't they? Yeah. So, um, and on my first turn, the kind of stand out. Uh, standout thing was one particular Blood Warrior... Um, who succeeded on an 11-inch charge mm. to just get straight to the middle of the board, like straight onto that rubble. He survived. I knew charging you on the deadly rubble was a risk, but yep. I was like, it's a one in six chance he dies, and he didn't die. He survived. And what I really wanted was to get a... I mean, I love it when corn guys just go off and charge people, apparently. <laughs> so what I wanted was... I knew that the Glade Guard are pretty weak. Blood Warriors, oh, yes. like two <laughs> wounds, like good attacks, re-rolling ones to hit, uh good four-up save. Hmm. Like in that scenario, they're pretty strong. And I wanted you to be in a situation where it's like, I don't even have to put everyone there. Yeah, Like one guy there is going to stand there fucking up your blade Guard hmm. with big axes until you send people to deal with him yeah. or let him do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a choice there. And that was like, so that was his job, and he got in, and then he missed all his attacks because yeah, God knows he could giveth, taketh away. Mm. That's corn. That's corn. Um. So on the <laughs> the second, so this has been a game changing moment straight <laughs> away. Uh, from my top of my notes for your uh, second turn, so you won the roll off going into turn. I did. round two. Mm-hmm. I've written bees question mark. Yeah. But then bees exclamation mark. Bees to But having. then, but not. So, yeah, you had you attempted to unleash the bees with only that one brave blood warrior in range. I thought you might as well. Um, so I rolled a casting
1: if you've roll. You've got him. <laughs> She's got him. Might as well set him off. Uh, so she rolled ten for a casting roll, and the casting roll uh, takes the number of dice she eventually rolled to try and move yeah. the thing. Uh So it was ten dice, and. Any six that I rolled would have been a mortal wound. Which so got two sixes on those ten dice it is a dead memory. Um, and so I didn't roll any sixes. <laughs> just didn't roll any. Uh, the bees happened. He was fine. He was a friend of bees. They didn't eat him. So yeah, just remember that. Remember that the bees, the bees tried. They tried. The bees tried. Whatever alignment they're supposed to be, they were not with order today. Yeah. And you charge that blood warrior with the branch witch. Yes, she committed to kind of the middle. She peeled off and decided she was going to... Because I thought, like, if this fight ends up in the middle then she could just beat again, over and over again. And basically it's an AOE that you... I really like, didn't want to get You have to again. think about, right? Yeah. You just don't really want to throw stuff in that that general zone. So it's good area of denial. She'll probably, I thought, she'll probably kill that Blood Warrior. She'll probably stick around for a while and just be a pain. Uh, and she'll do a lot more there than she will going around the side with the rest of the retinue, if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so her peeling off and doing some damage and actually using her points seemed like the thing to do at that moment. Um
0: However, she missed all of her attacks. She missed her, yeah, she did do that, yeah. And in return... What, who the person we refer to as hero blood warrior he's very good uh hit her in the face twice and took two wounds off her. <laughs> yeah yeah it serves her right for yeah. uh, trying to
1: get involved and or trying to kill with bees trying to kill the bees yeah uh so yeah re- revenge for bees that that
0: took yes. place and that was it and then um in my uh second turn i tried i now had the slaughter priest in range of your uh branch witch yes and my hope for doing those wounds the reason because i could have tried to kill wanderer but i had a plan i had an actual plan Mm. and the plan which will play out over the next two turns as we discuss it was this Mm. um and it you know we'll be talking about success um was ignore the wanderers and then in the same turn that the branch witch dies Kill all the wanderers at once, mm. and the reason for that is if you don't have your general, you take a battle shock as if you have a oh, so five. Mean, yeah, yeah. And obviously, you need to take battleshock tests test based on how many things have died that turn. Mm. So I wanted to force a really bad Battleshock gotcha. test, yeah, where suddenly four things have died, and you're taking battle shock mm. on a five. And so suddenly you start having to remove spite reverence yeah. even you don't want to. But
1: actually, I mean, if you fail a battle shock, you lose the game, don't you? In skirmish. Do you- yeah, I think so. Because uh, I think your whole warband runs away. Like, it is a game-ending thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I, was,
0: I mean, I wasn't even playing for that. I was playing, <laughs> it would have won, yeah. I was playing for the, like, um, just trying to get some, you know, p- get, get take units away from your cage without having to get yeah, close to it. Basically. That makes sense, yeah. Um, so one of the reasons I wanted to take uh, points off your branch witch was to bring her in more reasonable dead from slaughter priest mm. range because his prayer, which casts on sort a of four up, does D6 mortal wounds. Yeah. And now that she's down to four wounds, suddenly it's a four up rather than a six to For kill sure. her. Um, however, it failed that turn. And I had to kind of com- uh, continue my sprint from one side of the board to the other with most, most, most guys. Mm. However, I did bring two of the blood warriors up in, uh, into kind of like a, uh, like a, not a long distance charge, but like a pretty long charge range to the center mm. fight. Cause I wanted to commit, something else to the middle to make sure the branch, which died and to start setting up pieces so that I could start cleaning up those wanderers when she did die. Yeah. However, one of the guys failed his charge. Mm. Fine. No biggie. The other guy, double sixes he's going for it he's it. going straight for this hole which <laughs> he then immediately falls down <laughs> so i rolled a one <laughs> he needed
1: he needed a roll of 11 to get in contact so you rolled that massive charge and then you rolled the one after like corn giveth and taketh away again yeah it was yeah so he, he fell into a deep pit of despair and died yeah, literally though it was like a, it was a pit of just disp- like it was yeah it was impressive. he wasn't sad he fell down a hole because uh, between the two of us, we couldn't buy a hit roll. Like, we. <laughs> this is the two, first casualty of the match. Our again, two forces, again, it was one of my guys rolled down a hole. Absolutely, yeah. The, the, we couldn't hit anything. Our forces were completely useless. And, um, yeah, the realms decided to eat that guy and claim the first to victory. Um,
0: so. Yeah, so, I mean, luckily, my, um, hero, Blood Warrior, managed to, I think, um,. He just tanked it, I think. I think. he tanked it, yeah. He said he made all his saves mm. that turn as well. So he, those, like, suddenly from being assaulted by ten bees to just being locked in this duel with the Branch Witch. Yeah, just, yeah, just holding his own, doing good work. Yeah, and then the next turn was the turn when the bees were denied mm. by the Slaughter Priest.
1: Yes, that's right. He can Which, dispel, can't he? He
0: can dispel. So I only yeah. just cast on a five, but then it was easily dispelled by uh, a roll of about eight ten or nine or something, or something like yeah, that. Like yeah, it no, was pretty high. No bees. Um but you did, um, you did choose to deploy your arcane bodkins. <laughs> I did yeah? Um, I felt instinctively as though
1: my wanderers were not long for this world, uh, and also the um, Core general was the sorcerer priest was in range. So the arcane bodkins were like a once a game deal, and they hit and wound as normal, but they get rend minus three, which basically deletes the armor saver the thing there. Yeah, they're, they're attacking, and um, they did good work. They took two wounds off, I believe. Yeah, which equalized actually, because you both taken. In- yeah. Yeah, so my general you know, sort of branch, which has taken two, sort of priest, taken two. Um, so yeah, good job. Apart from then, my uh, you also charged with the wanderers, right? So yeah, I was starting to try and run interference. Like it, again, it is like an American football play, and like uh, it's actually, <laughs> um, if you like American football, it's a wide end run where your running back goes out to the right. And then turns a corner as your blockers hit their blockers. That is exactly what this game was. It was an American football play where I just deployed those blockers in front of my also ball magic carrier. bees
0: tried to kill and me. also
1: <laughs> yeah, imagine how much better American football would be with giant explosions of magic bees that 's what this is that 's why Warhammer <laughs> is awesome it 's like the sports you love, but with magic bees um, yeah, so I, I was trying to break right, and I needed more interference. I needed more blockers, so I thought I 'd send out my wanderers, knowing that they would die eventually um to just get in the way and mm. one of them charged your slaughter, slaughter, slaughter priest. priest not wise a hilarious height imbalance <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah it's a good uh, really good photograph of that um and my other wonder just sort of got in the way as well because like every single individual in skirmish is a unit and that means there's a three inch bubble around them um well, six inch radius roughly um that other things kind of can't just go through easily. They have to kind of charge and deal with you if you yeah. if you're there. So in this kind of uh very, very spatially interesting scenario, that that kind of board control was useful. So I tried to use my wondrous to do that.
0: Yeah. Um and then you got away with it primarily. So this is a lucky really. event <laughs> because um the slaughter priest managed to whiff all six of his attacks yeah. into this one elf. <laughs> Bearing in mind the elf is like, you've got a five plus save and one
1: wound. Like he should have died. But I thought every chance, just the slightest chance that he wouldn't. Yeah. I didn't think I'd lose out too much if he died because he's not going to do very much for the rest of the battle. Actually, in fact, I think he, yes,
0: he didn't die. No. And um, this will become important. So, well, actually, no, well, in a minute. So um, he didn't die. Uh, But then on my third turn, I did manage to get uh, my prayer off mm. and boil the witch, who yeah. at this point only had three wounds left. Mm. But I rolled a two, down to one, down to one. That could have
1: easily destroyed
0: her. Yeah, it could have easily destroyed. Very, her. very. It was easy. A three up to kill her, basically. Absolutely. Um, got it down to one, but then made like a big loaded cheap charge, big charges. So this was my like setting up for that trap thing, right? Mm. Like I had my sorcerer priest and another blood warrior in range of one wanderer. Mm. I had another. I had the leader of the blood warriors in range of another warrior. I had two Blood Warriors, including the hero, Blood Warrior, and a Reaver in charge of, in range of the other two, um, Wanderers and the Branch Witch. Right. And this, again, the plan. Branch Witch, he's only on one health now. Kill her. Mm. Kill the, um, kill all of the Wanderers, force a bad battle shock. Yeah. Um, what happened was, uh, I activated, uh, one of the Blood Warriors in contact with the Branch Witch, um, not the hero guy. mm uh he whiffed everything. Yeah. Then the branch witch turned around and killed him. She chopped him. Yep. Um then uh I activated another blood warrior who killed the uh finally killed the wanderer standing in front of the slaughter priest. Yes. Then hero blood warrior did manage to kill the branch witch which yep. was a big moment yeah. particularly because he that's the journey for him that began when he managed 11 inch charge at the start of the game it, it then survived yeah. miraculously a load of bees absolutely and ended up killing a general
1: yeah that, and that was a big moment because another four turns of bees potential bees or three or four turns of potential bees could have been an absolute devastating thing
0: but yes i don't want to deal with that you just don't want to have it on the table and also yeah like it's this plan is starting to work now yes so but in the end like the best i could make of it was i managed to kill the branch witch and two wanderers Mm. i think yeah rather than the four i wanted so So i'll take it it was a battle shock moment for my yeah yeah
1: for sure um i rolled a one so that was fine
0: (laughs) (laughs) kids the dice helped me Um, a lot this game uh, but yes, and, um, and then we had a kind of, so that was like a big momentum swing towards me, because I had mm-hmm. most of my guys left, and your, your team was still sort of trying to round yeah. the corner. Like, so my notes for your fourth turn honestly aren't that detailed, because it was it like, much happened here. Um, well, because your, your spikes just kept kind of running. Yeah. And my blood warriors just carved up the rest of the wanderers. Mm. And this isn't going really to help with the battle shock. You keep having to take battle shock, but at that point, it's, you still, you still need to roll a one, two, or a three to pass it, and you have the order reroll for Battle shock, right. and- which I never even had to use, but no. yeah, it was always there. Yeah. like If you'd rolled a bad six, that's bad, mm-hmm. but you got a three, I think, so it's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, and then um, something real bad happened. Mm. So, um, well, it was actually at this point in the game that you said, like, because the the courier with the the cargo and the little spider was kind of rounding the corner for the final stretch yeah but you'd lost the branch which and i had like i was in a position to kind of pivot and block mm. the one where you had off the board and you kind of looked at the distance and went i can't do this like the guy carrying the dryad
1: carrying it could not he was short three inches of be able to get into your deployment zone and score any sort of victory um according to the the rules. Um, so you have to get, um, you get a minor victory for getting into your opponent's deployment zone and you get a major for running off. Um, and I realized at that point, like I'd not maneuvered well with him. Like if if he'd have taken a more direct route, he could have gotten around the side and still get, get gone into your deployment zone, but he was more than 14 inches away. So in the last two turns, he could not move far enough to do it. Right. And I realized that there was no way he could actually get the objective into the place it needs to go
0: and so we talked about the objectives for a moment and we sort of decided that at this point you were playing for you were playing to try and restrict me to a minor victory yeah so that yeah so we should explain the parameters well. yeah so i get a major victory if the game i can't pick up the cargo if you no, drop it no. however if if the cargo is dropped if the game ends and the cargo has been dropped outside of my territory mm-hmm. i win a major victory yes if it is being held outside of my It's a minor. Territory. It's a minor. Mm. So your objective at this point became, uh, project, protect the cargo to restrict me to a minor victory. Yeah. To just give you that benefit. Exactly. In a future game in the campaign. Precisely. So that's kind of the spirit we went into this with. However, then the next turn, um, I realized that my slaughter priest was within, uh, 16 inches of the courier. Mm. And because you only pick up the cargo at the end of your movement phase, yeah. my hope was with a bit of luck and the right kinds of rolls, I could basically keep boiling the courier <laughs> yeah. and force you, If, if particularly if you won the roll off,
2: hmm.
0: like for the final round, then it would end after my turn. Yeah. And so you'd never have a chance to pick it up again. if That no. makes sense. Yeah. So that, I could kind of a,
1: force a, the end of a, assassination the, moment. Yeah. Know, like I force the end check. of the
0: game with it on the ground, so I get the major victory sure. that I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So I go for the blood boil,
1: mm.
0: and I roll a one. Yeah. And the reason this is a big deal: so the sorcerer of priest had four wins left, mm. and I roll a one. And if the sorcerer of priest has killed a unit on the previous turn, you add one to the result. Mm. So the spell would have failed, which just sucked. But he wouldn't have taken D three mortal wounds for displeasing corn. Yeah. But because on the previous turn I had attacked, I had activated a blood warrior before him, Mm. and the blood warrior had killed the only target available. That's right. Yeah, he couldn't do it. Yeah. And then I rolled a six for the D three mortal wounds. Yeah. So suddenly he's on one
1: health. Which it's, is it's happened in almost every game he's been in. I for certain. yes.
0: Um, also, you know, every 40k game we've played, I've the <laughs> yeah. warp at least once. Yeah, it's it's, it's always like the Chaos Gods actually hate you, Chris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They've got something against you. Um, so that was a setback, and that changed the way I had to use him because I wanted to plow him into that line. Mm, he's a big, yeah, man. He, he's loads But of it's suddenly like, oh no! So he's going to stand behind a screen of reavers.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. But so instead, what I did was um. Do. A strategic Blood Warrior charge. Like, so I created, like, the first wave of defense was the Blood Warriors. Mm-hmm. The second wave was the Reavers. And then the back, the Slaughter Priest. Yeah. Because you're not getting the board edge. Sure. And I'm just going to kill things that try. Yeah. Um, but it wouldn't they smart to just, as soon as I realized you couldn't make it to the edge, run. But, like, mm. you know, let's, like... Let's kill some spite revenants, basically. Yeah. However, the only note I've written for this is Whiff City, USA, because I think we basically both flailed at each other and didn't do anything. Our
1: dice were super cold for the entire thing, and um, except towards the end when they got really hot. Yeah, suddenly things started dying. Uh, But yeah, so I, I can't remember what happened in this combat phase. But um, so my spite revenant cage had kind of just rounded the corner, and they were just sort of making themselves a nuisance just to block off any charges to the objective um being carried by my dryad, and um their are very run rolls meant that they were kind of like just scattered around yeah. roughly like you know about like a seven to ten inch bubble um and then you just had to sort of charge into it and try and dismantle it but with your first um kind of wave of warriors so it's your blood warriors that came in first yeah um and they charged in kind of piecemeal so you had one going into one made a charge to a spite revenant, mm. another one did as well, but it was pretty much just that was it, wasn't it for that round? Yeah. And I was able to swivel and pile in with my spites like, to get a few extra kind of claws into the into the fight, and it was kind of a stalemate. But I took some wounds off those blood warriors. Like yeah, uh, I f- did nothing in return as well. Yeah, so I, I got them, I think both of them down to one uh, over the course of the, that combat, and suddenly things became. Kind of interesting. Um, so I can't remember what turn we're on now. So we're uh,
0: that was, um, you my turn four. Mm. And then I won the roll off the next round. So I was yes. straight to my turn five. Yeah. And, um, we both had pretty hot dice, like defensively, like you're five up save on the spike yeah, revenants, but made you made, a those. It, made yeah. them all, I think. Yeah. You, you didn't lose a spike revenant in that game.
1: No, that's true. Actually. Yeah.
0: Um, and yeah, I did kill a dryad, mm. uh, which is not great guns, but like got one. Yeah. Um, exact words was goodbye ad. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye ads yep um, um poor guy and um but i did lose another blood warrior for it mm. so sort of like an increasingly not worth it trade however every time you lose even one model the chance of you failing that because my i still have my general right yeah the reason i was kind of doing this is because again i can still force battle shock right yeah. like you are making all of those tests to the bravery of five i'm making a test with the bravery of eight yeah, Like, I can lose... If I lose a Blood Warrior, I still... I can't fail. Mm. If you lose two Spike Revenants in a turn and you roll a four, mm. you've just lost, lost... Well, you've actually just lost the game. You've lost the going, game. I mean, I right. get a reroll as well, but yeah, you're right. It is it is hairy odds, definitely. Yeah, like, so it's it's kind of worth me fighting. Then. Yeah, definitely. Partic- yeah. And particularly splitting up so it's, like, not just three Blood Warriors fight. Because they've got one wound behind a five-up save. Mm. Blood Warriors have two attacks, three-up, four-up, rerolling once to hit. Yeah. They shouldn't need... <laughs> they shouldn't, no. <laughs> they shouldn't, like...
1: But then dice happens <laughs> <laughs> um
0: so the idea was if i put one on each of them mm. they each kill one yeah if i kill three of them probably like, might be about it's a, suddenly a three-up chance to yeah. battle right like mm. kind of like, anyway um but then in your in your first turn, this was the turn that started with the knowing that you couldn't get to the edge of the board mm. the relic carrier running back into the ruins to hide yes I'm trying to think what else happened um you Oh whatever what I've written is, um spites tear into Blood Warriors. Yeah, they did they do damage. <laughs> so you suddenly those those um spites that just wouldn't die, like mm. we're making those five up saves, started ripping the Blood Warriors to part. I lost two Blood Warriors and a Reaver that turn yeah. in return for nothing. They um they have
1: three attacks and they're only like four plus four plus no rend, damage one. But weight of dice when it's one on one combat's pretty yeah, it's got to be respected. Um, uh, four plus four plus, you're expecting one to go through, maybe two statistically a turn. And then your save is four plus. So yeah. statistically, probably fail one of those. So there is a, like statistically damage supposed to be going through in that yeah, direction. Yeah. Um, I think that. You missed a lot of attacks. I I didn't have to make too many saves. I think you made like two or three saves. I made two it? or three saves, which was is lucky. But I think uh, most of the 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 dice balance went on you just whiffing stuff because you're four plus three plus three rolling ones to hit. I'd expect to, I'd have expected way more attacks to come in from those blood warriors. But once they started going down, the reavers are not a threat. Yeah, they're just not. a And threat so suddenly
0: from having kind of like a formidable cage and a game you can't win. Yeah. I suddenly had myself with a one health slaughter priest and two Reavers. Yeah. And all of your spites still alive. These angry purple, blue tree Within charge range. Very easy charge range as well, you know. And so the, and then, so this was a big roll off. Mm. This is a really big roll off and you got it. I got it. So the spites close in. That's right. And this was a crazy fight (laughs) because like you had like one spite fighting a Reaver off in the corner. Yep. And if you don't kill him That's it. That's I can't it. do anything. Yep. But you do. Yep. Got him. And then I get to activate the Slaughter Priest. And I split his three attacks with his sword onto <laughs> three different spites. Right. First one goes through, hits, wounds, and you save it. Mm. And then the second one misses. Third one hits, doesn't wound. Mm. Hammer, finally kill one of them. Yep. But then there's still two more of them. And one of them's a the champion with four dice. Yeah. Yep. One of them kills the reaver final one
1: decapitates your general kills a slaughter priest yeah which means you've wiped me out everything is dead which means you win a major victory on the spot just right there sixth round the yeah spites just
0: from nowhere out of the bag <laughs> Holy so if shit. you worried when we were talking about five minutes ago about how this game had become about how sir tom ekes a minor victory out of mm. this or how it forces me into a minor victory yeah. don't worry <laughs> AOS order has restored itself. Absolutely. Uh, major victory. It was amazing. It yeah. was such a crazy, like, oh, Jesus. I just like, just
1: walking around for a minute or two, just going, I can't believe it. I can't <laughs> believe it. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, man, Spike Revenant's awesome. Yeah. They're, they're awesome. Indestructible, spooky tree men. Spooky tree dudes. And they, um, they've got loads of interesting kind of bravery debuff stuff they do. But, um, in the main game, in the, they're 80 points and I think they're, I mean they're much more easily killed in an army
0: environment but in skirmish they they were terrifying. They yeah. lived up to their Yeah. Nature, like you know I, mean? I feel like normal like normal odds I'd still take a blood warrior. Yeah. With like two attacks re-rolling ones to hit. Mm. Better save more twice as many wounds. Yeah. But when don't happen it don't happen. Yeah. It's true. So the upshot of this is actually now I'm quite substantially behind mm. because you got a lot more so you, we're now on 55 renowned for our next game for you, and yeah. 51 for me. Yeah. But you've also now got an artifact and a command trait. And yeah. I don't have either. Cause that was the prize for winning. Mm. Because you got a major victory, you got to pick your command trait as well. So your, your general is now re-rolling, um, ones to hit for herself and all allies within six inches. Yeah. And re-rolling wounds from her artifacts. So she's terrifying. Nice. Now. Yeah. I and really she's still sad. got the bees thing as well. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, Given good. that last month I went in with a 12 point advantage, hmm. uh, this month I went in with a, well, one point advantage, uh, but also a kind of strategic advantage in that I kind of, you know, had hmm. to, I got to deploy after you, et cetera. Next month I go in as the underdog. <laughs> Look forward to that. <laughs> this is where corn turns it around though. Maybe, yeah. This well is- we only got two get ga- two games no, three games left in the campaign. So yeah. It's there's everything to play for. Yeah, there is. But oh boy. Just can't <laughs> keep getting dumpstered like this. It was uh, it was such a good game. I was really It was so swingy and fun.
1: Um I, I really love Skirmish. It's so fast to play. Yeah. You just rattle through your turns and it's actually uh it's taught me to play faster almost yes. so just like bash I know it, I it, do trust
0: trust that I've remembered that this is a three up four up and this is a four up four up. Yeah. And, that, yeah. that, and then
1: once you've kind of just memorized those war scrolls, it just it goes so quickly, and it's it's a really fun war game. Yeah, good game. I'm, I'm really enjoying this little campaign because <laughs> it's, it's just so nice. The little corn band that can't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they, they you know I want them to do well now, like cause they are the they are the underdogs now. Yeah, because they they have just like strived so hard and they got so far, but in the end it didn't, it didn't even matter. matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I kind of feel like they're definitely owed a victory. I thought this would be it. I thought. I thought there's there's no
0: way I'm wiping them out, but that um that. Well, tr- I remember saying that when we when you you were saying that like, I can't win, and I was like, well, you could wipe me out," and he's like, like, that's that's like, "I can't do that." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's no way that's gonna happen. Now.
1: Um, but because you kind of fed me your warband piecemeal, and I got lucky with the dice rolls, that's yeah. what allowed it to happen. I think.
0: Yeah, right. like if I'd run one reaver away to the corner of the board, yeah, totally, I would have yeah. got a minor victory. Yeah. But I didn't want a minor victory; I wanted a major victory. Mm-hmm, but yeah. also, also like um that was possible. Hmm. Like, you know, in, in fairness, like there was a method to splitting the blood warriors between sure. spites. Yeah, Cause it was yeah. like, the way I do this is on battle shock. Mm. That's why I killed the branch, which it's, you know, this is what this plan has been about. Like, yeah, yeah. and yeah, there's some dice odds involved in that, but like, I don't mind that because I'd made a, you know, I made a calculated mm. judgment. It's not like I kind of played it stupidly no, or punished no, no, no. for it. It's like, this is like, this is the plan. And oh God, no. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, then, yeah, spites happen. Yeah. Yeah. Spites happened. Man, what a game. What a game. Shall we do some questions? We should, although we'll say now that this, this podcast has gone on pretty long, Tom. We've just talked for ages about Warhammer again, Chris. Yeah, it happens, doesn't it? So for that reason, we're going to just answer a handful of questions this month, mm. um, but do get your questions in, including your novelty paramount questions and everything else, uh, for next month when hopefully, well, I'm not saying hopefully there'll be less news, <laughs> yeah. but maybe there'll be less news and we'll have a bit more time to, to devote to it. Sure. So our first question, uh, this month comes from Chris. Who writes, dear thirsty thurston and senior citizen. Nice. Nice, yeah. It's, yeah. I, yeah, I was called thirsty in primary school because <laughs> children are very, very imaginative. So they, they used to call me killer in primary school. It's <laughs> <laughs> a fact for you. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's, thirsty absolutely. just sounds like my name. How did you
1: earn killer? I, I didn't, I don't remember doing anything to earn it, but nonetheless.
0: That, so you I, I can't used to let have, that hang, Tommy. I used you. to have.
1: A, I used to have. Um. Um. I. I, I was an Aston Villa supporter. I was going to get a custom shirt made. I wanted to put Killer on the back because it was my nickname. And my dad was like, "No, <laughs> not going to have my child running like around killer, with killer like Killer cans with cool 90s a cool nineties A." It was wasn't. It? No, it was just Killer is in the thing that you know murderers are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How did this? Please explain this.
1: I. I honestly, there's no real explanation for it. I don't know why I was. I don't know why it happened. But. It, <laughs> but it did <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay people know I'm, I'm quite a peaceful person you are yeah yeah uh so chris writes uh many thanks for getting this 30 something well back into gw after many years i'm sure i never really knew the rules properly the first time around i very much jumped into two-footed purchasing a quick in quick order a 40k army and aos army as well as shades, spire loads of terrain and the like As I mentally try and work out exactly how long this will end up taking me, it occurred to me, while it would take a huge chunk out of the hobby, do you feel there would be a market for pre-built and pre-painted minis from GW? If I remember, my copy of Mage Knight has fairly mediocre pre-painted minis, and I naturally there is a massive jump between this and the huge GW range with their level of detail. There's a whole cottage industry that exists offering to paint guild ball teams, Malifaux crews, and the like, and I wonder if an official GW paint studio might be a good source of revenue, but also potentially attract new players who are currently put off by the hobby aspect of our hobby." I feel like this email was far longer than it needed to be. Best wishes and many thanks for your excellent pod. Albeit I've suddenly got surprisingly protanical about casual swearing. <laughs> Shit. Sorry, man. Yeah. Done. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I, I, I started to notice that I was, uh, dropping F bombs earlier this episode. I do apologize. Yeah. Same here. It's yeah. just how I sound, unfortunately. Hmm.
1: Uh, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I think this, is this podcast explicit on iTunes? Yes. There you go. It so is. hopefully
0: children won't be. and if they are it's nothing they haven't already heard from youtube yeah so uh yeah so in terms of minutes, i think it's more the technical barrier to entry
2: Hmm.
0: right yeah um and the production requirements like i I suspect it's an entire like it's not just like a service you offer on top of the gear you've got it's like specific to the equipment you're using and how you're manufacturing things Hmm. uh yeah i mean uh
1: so x-wing miniatures are pre-painted they are yeah to a better standard than i'd normally expect actually to be honest from that type of pre-painted thing yeah they're good yeah they're getting um, better as well yeah um but it always feels like a caveat like um pre-painting like a, a spaceship to be white with bits of you know two or three colors on is so different from highlighting shading and doing everything that uh you know a yeah human, they're there human characters or complicated yeah. um, shapes You're totally right that there is the secretary industry, um, of army painters who take armies on commission and then send them back. And that is expensive. It's very expensive. But if you, if, if Gaze Workshop were going to do that type of service, I think it'd be prohibitively expensive for the vast majority of the audience. So it wouldn't make business sense to do it.
0: And also they'd be, they'd have to kind of balance that against the business they're doing themselves out of in a way. Yeah. Sure. Like they sell paints and brushes brushes and, and you know the tutorial the hobby side of it right like yeah for sure, for sure i think um yeah like the x-wing stuff all the all the paint jobs are done in in china i believe some of are machine done like they're kind of designed for that mm. the shapes are a lot simpler as you say the models are a lot smaller yeah there's a lot of reasons it can happen and and you know and, and uh, fantasy flight doesn't do this for its games that have humanoid characters for
1: example no. and also um those spaceships are going to be like a single mold thing for the most part apart from the ones which have like yeah. wing flaps and stuff and it, so a single mold thing that you then put into a machine that then sprays it is doable but for games workshop style multi-part kits where there's
0: lots of assembly required it's just a very different yeah proposition i don't think the technology really exists to do I, it auto- i literally think auto- the closest they can get to this is what they're already doing with um glueless like snap fit kits yeah. in colored plastic yeah Like, the only thing they could do is like ship stickers with them or something. So Mm -hmm. you get like a blue ultramarine and some stickers to go on it. Yeah. And then you're basically done. Like That would work. That would work. But I think they're getting the
1: closest they can get, really. Sure. I do agree. And also, and it is a big part of the hobby. I think it's a nice part of the mm -hmm. hobby. And it's also, if you, it's a cool way to introduce kids to
0: like creative. It's a creative thing with painting a space marine. uh, I think, I think I would feel. If I had bought all of my models pre-painted and Mm. let's say they looked exactly like I've painted them, which is to say, all right, then I would feel a bit weird about my investment. I don't know. Mm. Even if they cost the same amount, this might be a weird thing to say. And I might be saying this is someone who, for whom the painting side of it is the biggest side of it. Yeah. But like, I'd, this is a strange thing to say because we are just, you know, every time I go to a miniatures tournament, Pip, uh, my partner says, Good luck to the toys. And she's right. <laughs> they are toys. And yeah. also good luck to them. Um <laughs> Especially your corn boys. They need yeah. some. Uh, yeah, exactly. Those good, toys to the, need some good luck to the, the boys. <laughs> good luck to the toy boys. <laughs> Hang on. Um What I mean is like, but I think the moment I was buying like pre-painted figurines, hmm. I would go like, I'm buying toys. Yeah. Okay. Whereas at the moment I can, I can live in a little bubble, which is like, I'm buying projects. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes and it's sort of, and I have a sense of personal attachment to all that stuff on my shelf that I wouldn't have if it was like, I mean, because I have also shelves sort of pre painted X-Wing miniatures, mm. and the reasons i I get a different thing out of them because I love Star Wars and I love the mm. authenticity of those original paint schemes, and some of them I have repainted. Yeah, but like, you know, that's it's a different draw. I don't know if I would go and buy a big box of like official looking space marines. Mm. You know what I mean? and then I definitely wouldn't pay three times the rate. Because even if they were three times the amount, that would still be cheaper than an, an army commission. That's true. Painting job, probably. Yeah, probably, for a good one. Yeah, yeah. Some of them do double, but only for just like
1: tournament standard. If you wanted something that you'd be proud to put on your shelf, you're looking at it three or four times, surely. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I mean, I, I find it hard to really break out of my own. Uh, habits like for me the painting is such a big part of it that i can't imagine it just uh, thinking about it i'd play a card game instead you know what i mean like i'd play yes. magic the gathering um yeah, i'd, I'd buy <laughs> a, yeah um I, i'd 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 buy a board game or something uh, and it's like a different mental territory for me entirely like i wouldn't play a war game necessarily in the same way no i don't think
0: so either mm. um but i maybe we're, the bad, we're bad people to ask <laughs> yeah exactly we're like, pretty into the hobby, so yeah. Um, but nonetheless, like, I, I think for GW it would be interesting, but I think, I think it's so impractical, like, that the best thing they can do is offer, like they are, like, plenty of people, you know, can buy Shadespire and play it fully mm. without painting. Oh yeah, yeah. With, you know, it simply becomes a board game with detailed, colourful plastic pieces. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, yeah. Um, our next question, Comes from Pete Fiena on Discord getting his now, I just want, well, it's a good question, but also I'm glad that he's managed to finish his full combo. Actually, no, hang on, because we didn't do questions the first ever episode, did we? Uh, I don't think so. Obviously not, because, uh, so, yeah. so <laughs> he's not got his full year yet. No, which I don't know, you get a badge But or his something. questions are always really good. So, uh, yeah. they are. Yes. Good job. Uh, and this one is, hello, Iron Toms and Thousand Thurstons. I'm sorry. I'll try harder next month. He adds. <laughs> Uh, this week, I ask of you, do you repaint old miniatures you've already done? I'm embarking on my, on making my AOS Skaven army, mostly comprising my 2014 Warhammer Fantasy Battle Skaven army rebased. However, my painting from that time was terrible, so I'm repainting them. I've heard quite a few people like to keep their old minis as they were for the purpose of seeing how far they've come, Hmm. but I can't bring myself to use them in their old, in their horrible, only base coated state. Is it a good idea to have some old, badly painted models in your lovely army? Thanks. Loving the pod as always. Fienya slash Pete. Really
1: good question. I struggle with this because, uh, the liberators I painted out of the box when I first started getting back into this are rubbish. <laughs> mm. Uh, like, I mean, I was, I was pleased with them at the time and it was really satisfying at the time. But now I actually want to field those liberators in an army alongside my much better painted stuff. I'm like, actually, I don't really want to repaint them. I just want to put them in a box and never look at them again and then buy another <laughs> box of liberators. Games Watch will be delighted to hear this. Buy another box of liberators and then actually just paint them up completely fresh, but with all the weapons options and stuff that lacked, that they lacked in the original yeah, box. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I do want to erase my past <laughs> in, that, in that way with the miniatures painting. Having said that though, I mean, um, uh, comparing, uh, my dryads, sorry, uh, my Spite revenants to, previous things has been really pleasurable because i did the dryads a lot faster and they're a lot cleaner Mm. and better than stuff i took a lot more time on about a year ago and that feels that does feel like progress um it's just the very first the very early stuff i I do want to replace if
0: i'm going to be playing with them yeah i think it's it's harsh in that case because the liberator is such a kind of core unit yeah like i found i think i'm quite lucky because my kind of my kind of return to the hobby was like the horrors and kyra acolytes and zangor from the silver tower set Mm. all of which i think are like all right but similar like i wouldn't run those zangor in an army now Mm. Uh, but luckily i don't have to i'm doing kind of i'm like you're replacing them you kind of sort of there's no because of the way because they came out before zangor rules were kind of locked down yeah they don't really cohere into a unit very well you could use them to bolster a unit yeah but i sort of you know i could and because the minimum unit size for zangor is is um it's between 10 and 30 and i've got 30 so mm. i don't need an extra six yeah like i'm just leaving them basically so luckily i kind of got my first month and a half two months of kind of slightly wonky stuff mm. out of the way on something that i don't factor I actually in. use every day yeah. but there are other things like um i feel like my the good things about my gaunt summoner but there are things about it that i know i could do better now mm. but i have no intention to paint a new one but when I go to, uh, the London GT later in the year and I know there's a big painting component, I don't want to be completely out with a shot. So I'm just not going to bring them. No, I'm well. going to build my army about something else. Yeah. So the, the most recent kind of, you know, when, where the painting quote unquote matters, I have the choice to leave some of the less finesse yeah, stuff yeah. at home and, and focus on the stuff that does matter. Like I'll probably bring loads of the pink horrors, but that's not the stuff people's gonna be, eyes to be drawn to anyway. No. Um, so it'll be like Pink Horrors, The Lord of Change, The New Sangle, like mm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I personally at the moment don't think I'll, I don't want to, so given trying to make something good out of the backlog, there's a thought of giving any time to repainting at the moment. It's mm. like, nah, yeah, Like yeah. if it's done, it's done. That's like the new corn stuff's coming out looking nice. There's lots of stuff that's pretty rough about it. If you hold it up to and rotate it and look at all kinds of light you're going to spot rough edges but that's what tabletop standard means right Mm. and they're done right I'm not and I probably will never revisit them because my reward for finishing my backlog will be some exciting new project Mm. not now finally time to polish everything yeah because also it's it's about being practical with what you're likely to use and how much you're likely to use it and you know I'll get plenty of enjoyment out of playing the corn miniatures and having games with them Mm. but I probably will not this is the thing I've gotten a lot better. It's the same as you were saying, about getting faster. Like I've started to learn to apportion the amount of effort to something that it will give me back. Yes. Both in terms of what I buy. Um, but also in terms of like how much time we spend painting something, mm. right? Corn is not my primary army. It's, I'm really enjoying it. I'd love to build it out. And maybe one day I'll be sat on 3000 points of corn. it be like, oh, okay, got this as well. Yeah. But, um, either way, it's like, if it's not my primary army, then it doesn't matter if they look, if they're not perfect. If it becomes a big army for me, then these blood warriors, which are my line troops, mm. don't need to be better than this. So it's sort of like there's no reason to, like, overinvest in trying to perfect them. Yeah. But I suppose I'm not in a situation that Pete's in where I don't have an army from, like, I am not fielding my 15-year-old katachan jungle warriors. No, no. That, like, that looked like someone attacked Rambo with crayons. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Likewise, I don't have my old Wood
1: Elves, and if I was seen now, I probably wouldn't run them in anything. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Unless yeah. We have like uh, a retro kind of like <laughs> <laughs> that could be quite funny. Imagine the whole tournament themed around that. Bring your fifteen year old. Yeah, bring only armies that you painted as a teenager, and uh, you, you do you have painting competitions yeah. for that as well. Like just rating your fifteen year old. Like my, all my Blood Angels look like red M and M's because I got like <laughs> so much paint on, like, yeah, just like yeah. globs of red. Uh um, yeah. Chimp gave me some Waywatchers and like proper old like metal ones yeah four of them and um i'm gonna do them just so it reminds me how bad painting on metal
0: could be and like how you know uh, so that's my other pro tip yeah. when you if you do take my advice and go for that um time-saving lead belcher base coat mm. sometimes your brain will convince you that you're painting a metal model because oh, you've, you've sprayed it metal. You've, uh, and you'll have past. weird flashbacks <laughs> to getting little shards of metal like yeah um a mold line stuck in your fingers yeah yeah, those little kind of twiggy,
1: sharp yeah. bits that you have yeah. to sniff You'll off just normal. think that it's happening yeah. for some reason. Well, wow. it's not. a good tip. Yeah. It's a kind of horror. A horror. Yeah, yeah, little body horror. I haven't been so horrified since I learned about the horse fingers. Uh, yeah. Thanks, macro brothers.
0: Um, so yeah, so that's like, I just, I think at the moment, like, yeah, revisiting, no. Or however that said, a plan probably for pre-London GT is I am going to do another round of highlighting and world change there's oh, a yeah. few little things i want to pick out oh nice but yeah. that's not it's like a showcase top model, of though, the it? list yeah and it's like if i take it the most important model in the list yeah it's not like this zangor warrior's <laughs> bum flap is insufficiently gradiated <laughs> which is how i would have definitely felt about it a year and a half ago yeah priorities yeah, exactly priorities. bum flaps no big magic wing flaps
1: absolutely yes, yes. that's very
0: AOS. <laughs> Lovely. That is all the questions we have time for because this has been a very, very long podcast and apologies once again for the casual swearing. Now I'm self-conscious. About it. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to send us a question for a future episode, you can email us at miniatures at CreightonCrowbar.com. Mm. You can also tweet us at Minis Monthly on Twitter. Uh, you can, uh, find this episode and other Crate and Crowbar things on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar. And as ever, Miniatures Monthly and everything we do, uh, with the Crate and Crowbar, little network of stuff is supported by our Patreon. You'll find out more information about that at patreon.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar. Uh, Tom, how can people find your miniatures things on the internet? So my miniatures things are
1: mostly going to be concentrated on my Instagram account, which is Ludo Paints Minis, L-U-D-O Paints
0: Minis. Uh, and mine, uh, yes, also likewise focused on my Instagram account, which is Instagram.com forward slash exitwarp. That's E-X-I-T-W-A-R-P. Mm. Thanks for listening everybody. Oh, thanks everyone. See you next month. Bye bye.